Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs. 13 Star Designs is a unique vinyl and embroidery shop featuring seasonal designs, spooky gifts, and of course, their signature item, the world-famous dick mark. The first ever penis-shaped bookmark. They sell wreaths and blankets and towels and all sorts of cool and weird stuff. Even bookmarks shaped like bookmarks, if you can even imagine. Check them out at facebook.com slash 13stardesigns and find something perfectly strange for that strangely perfect person in your life. That's facebook.com slash 13, all spelled out, star designs. Hi everybody, I'm Josh. episode of the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault a read-along pod where we dig into the good the great and the problematic of the dresden file series by jim butcher i'm an old long time dresden fan and i am reading it for the first time and together we grind it out and dig in and dive in deeper than i have ever thought i wanted to do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what you get when you have a theater major as a sister she knows how to break down text <laughs> absolutely and boy am i actually grateful for it <laughs> how you doing today ice i am doing peachy keen jelly bean got a shot in my uh my less bad bum knee <laughs> Ooh. the more recently injured one. Oh yeah got a little cortisone should be Ooh, good for I, a couple months i love me some cortisone it's like an oil change <laughs> <laughs> You gotta get it every couple of months and uh all good i've only gotten the one but it was my senior year of college and i'm at a point now my shoulders are just garbage i didn't do a good enough job taking care of them my swim stroke isn't as clean as i had hoped so it's a lot of self reasons but also when you play water you know any sport you, you a lot of repetitive motions and oh, my yeah. shoulder repetitive injuries are what my problem is yeah my shoulders are just garbage i like i can't do a standing ovation i just i can't clap for that long some days my shoulders are better than others, but I got a cortisone shot my senior year of college and I was like a superhero. <laughs> I was moving things with my mind. I was swimming fast. <laughs> I was swimming faster than I ever thought was possible. It's like, holy shit. Is this what you guys just, your shoulders just don't hurt all the time and it don't slow you down. No, no, their, their shoulders hurt too. They're just better at swimming than me. But it was like <laughs> keeping up with guys and like crushing swim sets that literally were like, the coach would say I'm earlier in the season and I would just laugh like, okay, yeah, sure, buddy. <laughs> but I was just crushing. It was really, really a great uh-huh. few days. And then we we're back to reality. And <laughs> that's the hard part. But what yeah, can I mean, you do? I mean, I've been told uh, the first time I was told I should never run again, I was 14. <laughs> and I listened for a little while. And then, you know, mid 20s roll around and I could totally do that 5K. I could totally do those half, half marathons in my mid 30s. And then came crashing back to earth when I tore my meniscus in my right knee and I have a tor- tear in my left knee, but not when that needs injury. So we were oh, all there about goes that. gravity. Back yep. to reality. Way back to reality. 
Lissa runs into the oh, there goes gravity situation quite a bit while walking <laughs> historically. Her mother so, calls me Grace. That is not my middle name. It is not. <laughs> Carol. I always I always say I look I her trip. up and see if she's been arrested. I always say that I uh I trip over patterns in the carpet. Mm-hmm. And people are like, ah, and then I'll be walking down the hallway with pattern carpet and trip, and they'll be like, Oh my god, you do. I'm like, no, no, I just trip over my own feet. That's just funny to say I trip over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm goodness gracious me. And it's not because I like have excessively long legs or big feet or, you know, just I have long limbs. No, I have short legs, small feet. <laughs> I still trip. It's magical. I mean, hey, we, know, all, we all have our talents. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the for- first time I tore, well, the time I, my, they knew that I tore my meniscus, I did it standing up. So not like moving, just literally standing up from a crouch down position. <laughs> yeah. It is always reassuring when no matter how clumsy you are. Mm-hmm. just there's always a bigger fish um, mm-hmm. there's always a bigger klutz and i'm usually it absolutely uh-huh. i also was involved with body parts today i went bicycling for the first time in oh so Ooh. long and i thought it was going to be miserable and it wasn't the most pleasant but it actually felt pretty good talked to my good buddy kyle friend of the program who's my bike riding buddy and they were out of town for a while so i stopped bike riding and then I'm just fat and slow and atrocious at things, but I decided I'm leaving. And so I was like, I really wanted to get these last couple rides in and boy, oh boy, am I glad I did great conversation, which means we weren't going super fast. Great biking on a flat surface. I love it when we don't do all the hill skis, but yeah, no, it was nice. And uh, I don't want to say refreshing because I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> it was good. It was definitely felt good. It's one of those things where you you never feel you never say, oh, I wish I hadn't worked out. You know, it sucks during workout it sucks when you're sore, but like you never wish you hadn't, you know, definitely. so I'm definitely glad. And that was lovely. That's the hard part for me right now, because my knees, I, I tried to go back to the gym and I couldn't walk the next day because my knees were all like, no, 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 no. We're not ready for that yet. Yeah, you got to ease into it. And that's something I struggle with. I have some yeah, bad Achilles and like, like they're just bad. It's like because I'm tight and I don't stretch often enough and do my due diligence. But when I get back into like a workout cycle, I'll start nice and slow, no more than 10% a week. And I'll just get bored and be like, oh, I could do this. I can do this. I stretch it. And it's fine. You stretch it again. It's fine. And then it's just eventually it just all comes crumbling down. Yeah. I mean, I took a hundred pounds off my leg, my leg press and still I was like, I'm good. I'm good. And it's the next day. I think if I took a hundred pounds off my leg press at this point, I would be lifting negative. <laughs> I, I mean, I usually do about 150, 160. I used to be, when I was in playing water polo, I could do 412 pounds. That was my, my, Jesus uh, Christ. No wonder yeah. your knees are broken. <laughs> and now I'm like 160. I'm like, that's good. And I did 50 and I was like, oh God. I referenced Jalen Hurts and the brotherly shove a few weeks ago. And I'm not sure if I said this factoid, it's not a factoid, it's a fact that they mention every time he does it. But the reason why Philadelphia Eagles have the best quarterback sneak play in football is their quarterback can squat 600 pounds. Holy shit. He can, he can squat two linemen. It's just obscene. Not, and I don't mean like British money. Like, <laughs> cause I could squat 600 pounds, 600 pounds sterling. <laughs> I don't think we could find 600 pounds sterling between the two of us, but if we got somebody rich around here, somebody with, on the, what the, uh, with the, uh, exchange rate, no, the exchange rate is, it doesn't to me either way. <laughs> Wow, that I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's like one of those things where like there's a reason why your quarterback sneak isn't as good as theirs because yeah. he's got strong he ass legs. Literally move two of his linemen at the same time, or two of the other team's linemen, which is exactly. Finish. 
which is the point. Yeah. Holy crap, that's amazing. Never skip leg day is all I'm saying. Seriously. Anything else exciting in your neck of the woods? I had a house guest this weekend that I believe is training to be the next mouse. (laughs) Very quiet little. A very yittle mouse. And uh, a very yittle mouse. But uh, he, you know, he passed people on the street, kind of I am, and and brought him to work. The only person he growled at and wouldn't stop growling and barking at was the supervisor none of us like. And I was like... (laughs) Because, you know, he'd bark at people when he didn't know him. I'd pick him up and hold him at, at their height. And he'd be like, oh, hey, this is a cool human. But not her. And I was just like, he knows. <laughs> that was the, the, the best mouse uh, comparison I could possibly have observed. Love it. Right. We mentioned last week that we were going to change up our schedule here. And I'm going to say it now. Just And we'll also mention it at the end. But just so we're aware, we are going to get it. We've actually had tons of requests to get into the short stories. And I love it because I love everything Dresden. So we'll definitely get, we're going to do that for the next couple weeks as we just try to, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be on the road a ton over the next few weeks. So I definitely can't edit and break down and do release a whole big old schedule Dresden chunk of the books. So what we're going to do next week is the, a restoration of faith. We're going to do a restoration of faith and something borrowed. And then next week we'll do B is for Bigfoot. They're Snakefoot books? Well, they're not books. They're, there's three stories. There's three of them, actually. Okay. So, yeah. So, if anyone's excited about... Well, we were just talking about shoulders. and We can bring up rivers later. But either way, very excited for those. And see Lissy get a glimpse of the very, very first ever introduction of Dresden. Ooh. And um, also, our introduction to the strength of the river in his shoulders. Our friend Bigfoot. And looking forward to all of those things. So... Thank you guys for bearing with us as we go to some short weeks here, but we wanted to get something out. So hopefully that'll work out. We will see again. I can't promise anything, but we're going to do our darndest. And beyond that, you want to uh, catch us up in universe and then we go from there? You bet. Okay. So beginning of this book, Harry's witnessed the warden's wardening. Warden's going to warden. Warden's going to warden. Ebenezer asked him to take a look. Well, Ebenezer, the gatekeeper through Ebenezer, Asked him to keep an eye on, on black magic in the city of Chicago. Harry got in a car accident because somebody's following him. He also has a different tale, not the car accident guy. Molly got arrested, but Molly didn't get arrested. It's actually the boyfriend, Nelson, got arrested. And then mayhem happened at the uh, SplatterCon exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point convention. <laughs> and we have a critter, critter creature, supernatural beings, zizzes, plural. Homophage who are attacking as people's worst nightmare. And we learned that those are called a phobophage, which makes sense. Phobo and phage, if we really want to break down the Latin. Oh, we do. We do. We do. <laughs> now he's going to meet up with the summer Knigget at McAnally's Pub. Indeed. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. <laughs> and that's what you missed on Glee. <laughs> Every single time I do that, that's what pops into my head. Absolutely. Or are previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Those were the two. Previously on Lost. It's a great voice. Lost. There's another one we should get into real deep. You've never watched Lost, have you? I have never watched Lost. Oh, man. Put that on the podcast list. <laughs> oh, we should do something shorter. Do you like Firefly first or whatever? That's true. We should actually. Firefly is great. I and I would love, honestly, just like with Dresden, although Firefly obviously was, you know, 
on a major network television. Well, yeah. it, was on, it was on Fox. But I'd love to see get, just getting more people in, exposed to Dresden was a huge part of this. And yeah, and it's great. Firefly as well. Well, and as of this weekend, one of my coworkers has started listening to us and on her way to and from work. And she thinks we're great. So <laughs> somehow <laughs> one of the water polo kids, uh-huh. the kids got the uh, TikTok. And so we added a bunch of followers, but all of them are water polo children. <laughs> <laughs> but I as love I'm, it. I'm moving. So and I don't say anything on here that I don't say, except for a lot of fucks. But I, uh, I cuss sometimes. They're middle schoolers. But I try to keep all my cursing to a minimum on deck. Besides that, though, most of this stuff is pretty. Uh, yeah. Yeah straightforward and things like i mean the shit i talk about is a little bit more sketch simply because there's <laughs> death and destruction but hey oh goodness gracious <laughs> so back in the dresden files we arrive at accorded neutral ground slash territory it's called both in this i was wrong about the sign says ground in this one but i think later on it might say territory Either way, I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong. I love being. I think he refers to it as accorded neutral territory. It is accorded neutral territory, but I, me- I said earlier. Oh, you thought the sign said ground. Okay. I do think that'll just be later on because I, I do recall that happening, but I maybe I'm wrong. But I, uh, like I said, I, I love being wrong because it means you learn something. And learning is kind of the whole point of this mortal coil. No matter what you believe is next, you want to learn and grow and get better. So there we go on that front. But he arrives at, McAdally's pub and gives us a yeah every time we stroll in here we get a quick rundown which I have no problem with it's a basement kind of pub you go down steps there's a low ceiling at least for Harry I don't think I would mind it quite as much and he reminds us that there's 13 of everything stools tables ceiling fans it's an asymmetrical obviously kind of place but it's kind of to break down some of that magical energy (laughs) that exists around all wizards or anyone with magical power, but that we see that later on and in general with Harry's hexing down electronics, that kind of stuff. I love to keep the everything- lore of the 13, though. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, 13 is quote-unquote lucky number. 13 is actually my lucky number, and it's probably because it breaks up all of the evil spirits that try to, spirits and wizards and such that come try to come after me, obviously. <laughs> he slows them down. You know? <laughs> oh, goodness. Me, me and Aaron, our, our sister, we have the same favorite number. She's seven. No, her favorite number, her water polo number. I'm pretty sure her favorite number is 13, though, isn't it? I would, may, I mean, maybe. I, I, thought think we had, I thought we had this conversation, but. Perhaps. I, I thought, thought her, her water polo number was always seven. Yeah, no, for sure. Which I think is usually just kind of attached to you for life. Kind of how those, it's imprinted on your yes. brain. Well, it was definitely not my favorite number. Yeah, that's a weird one. It's tough to <laughs> Tough, tough to roll with one. Yeah, it's real hard. Snake eyes. But, <laughs> okay. Snake eye. Eye, singular. Yeah, exactly. This can all be edited. <laughs> he heads in the bar. It's a kind of a running joke thing through this novel, but also forever in the series that Mac is an old world style brewer, you know, these dark beers, but also his, he doesn't serve beer cold. Now it's going to be colder than room temperature, but it's, you go to Europe, it's the same idea where your beer is, if it's hot out, it's, it still feels nice. English ale is disgusting. It's room temperature. Sometimes you just want to see the Rockies on the bottle and not literally. I mean, Have the I'm mountains never, turn blue? Exactly. I've never literally wanted a Coors. I mean, I've had Coors regularly. It's a beer that is easy and it's everywhere and you drink it sometimes. But I've never wanted a Coors, but I've wanted to hold a crisp 
freezing cold beer in my hand pretty like most of most of the time. Like I I want that right now. And it's definitely an American thing. It's also, I've mentioned this before on this pod, but I don't, I like drinking cold things mm-hmm. in the middle of winter in Canada. I would be blasting my heater in the car and I'd drive through Tim Hortons and get an iced coffee. Mm-hmm. The, the only iced coffee they'd serve all day. Yeah. I just, I don't like drinking hot things. I, even room temperatures just seems weird to me. So I'm a cold person too. I would, when it was, I would go up to the mountains to a scene and it's, you know, te- it's two degrees and I would go into Starbucks and get me my iced tea or my iced coffee. Exactly. They look at you like you're crazy. If you have the same thing, it's definitely mom's fault. This is a woman who puts ice in her red wine. And I do that too. because I like, <laughs> cold, I like cold things, but it's, it's definitely my mother's fault. So don't give me good red wine. Yeah. I mean, you still should, because why would I'm a nice guy? <laughs> um, but beer, beer, good IPA is kind of my go-to, or whiskey. Oh man. Either way, he so Harry asks for a you know it's, it's a zillion degrees outside. Mac, you got any cold beer back there somewhere? And he gives him an unamused look, like you're in America. Calm yourself, brother. But Harry says, "Kidding? Tell me you got some cold lemonade. It's a zillion degrees." And so he makes mention of something that Lissa may have something to say about the, he gives a glass of lemonade cooled with his patented lemonade ice cubes. <laughs> I actually texted Josh. Do we really think those lemonade ice, cu- lemonade ice cubes are actually patented? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a smart ass. Thank you very much for asking. We don't think they probably are. <laughs> his steak sandwiches should be considered some kind of national resource. And Mac is a man of few words. He says, business harry nods he's meeting with fix so matt grunts he goes to a table with a clear view of the door of his uh born his born tendencies <laughs> mac actually goes over to the table we've never seen him do this this is very you know welcoming and friendly like a real restaurant almost he goes over and he moves the chair out there the table out so it's a little more comfortable comfortably distanced from the wall He polishes it with a cloth, straightens out the chairs. This is a guy that if you order food, he puts it on the bar and he might nod his head at you, but he's not very friendly in the kind of host sort of way. He's a friendly dude, but he's not very effusive with with any of his actions. So because this is business and the summer night is coming through, he puts a little more care into it, which is just interesting to see him also show this deference whether it's, I don't think it's to Harry. I think this is more towards Fix and his position with the Fed. Or perhaps the importance. He knows the meeting's important if the they're coming to, you know. Yeah, but he neutral ground. Sure, but he didn't do anything for the, all the wardens that came through in Deadbeat, right? We didn't see this kind of maybe action. It's, maybe it's a closer trip. <laughs> That's fair. They also were a lot of them sitting at a lot of tables, but. I, I just feel like it's, you know. Oh, it's very, it a, seems important. A, a nod of deference. Yeah, exactly. It adds some importance to it. And just before noon, when they were scheduled to meet, the summer night opens the door and strolls on in. We mentioned this in kind of passing last week or two weeks ago, that summer nights and the, the summer night and the winter night are mortals with a mantle of power. And they are kind of the, their tool to interact with the mortal world in a lot of ways. Fix had taken over that role as Summer Night novel. What was that novel? Three? Novel four? Mm-hmm. And he's grown since then. Literally. He'd been about five foot three. And now he's at least five foot nine. 
kind of get gotten a lot stronger. Got a new hairdo. Yeah, growing out his hair like a fairy noble, a fey noble. He calls him fairy, but I don't want to. I don't need that negative karma on me. <laughs> he projected confidence and strength, which is not what he used to be. He used to be nervous and cheerful, but nervous, mm-hmm. always kind of worried about things. And again, we also just saw only saw him as Harry did immediately after his good friend was kidnapped. Right? I mean, it's like it was a weird time mm-hmm. in his life, so it seems to be putting a lot on him. Maybe he wasn't always like that, but sure. Definitely, though, now he's a different person in a lot of ways. And you've seen kind of how the mantle and the job have changed him, presumably. He gives some love to Max, a little little bow of respect. He looks at Harry and grins, and they're just like old old pals. He says, Harry, fix, been a while, you've grown. Sort of snuck up on me. <laughs> Life is a way of doing that, Harry agreed. Like that. And Fix says, I, I hope you don't mind. Someone else wanted to speak to you, too. He turned his head and said something. And a breath later, the summer lady entered the tavern. We met Lily at the tail end of that novel. She was a changeling, a daughter of a she and mortal. And she had the looks usually reserved for magazines and movie stars. She'd grown as well, not taller, but just kind of into... Again, more confident and assured. He said the old Lily had hardly been able to take care of herself. This was the summer lady, the youngest of the Seely Queens. She affects the room as she walks in, which is kind of interesting. He said the whole place seemed more alive. The lemonade got more sour and sweet. Just kind of magnifies everything a little mm-hmm. bit. She's wearing a simple sundress of green. And again, this is a great description of her without sexualizing her. Mm-hmm. Which is how you, again, people, again, I've referenced how people push back against kind of our angle here, but like she is as, was as gorgeous as possible before she became more confident and like powerful. This is one of the most gorgeous beings he's ever seen. Mm -hmm. And he says, she's wearing a a sundress of green. He describes her hair. He describes her impact on the room, but he doesn't describe her titties, right? Like that's something you can do sometimes. Yeah. It's crazy. Once in a while which I, I love. Again, I, we give, I say this to referees all the time. I've literally gotten yellow carded for like saying, oh, that's a great call. And they think- <laughs> That you're like, being snarky. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, dude, like I'm going to give you shit when I think you did a bad one. I'm also going to tell you when I think you did great, something great. Like, that's awesome. Like, yeah. really good, really good, like, you know, patience or really good whatever. <laughs> so uh, similarly though, we're going to give Butcher and this novels a little bit of shit and Dresden a little bit of shit when they do poorly, but this is great. A great way to describe yeah. this and- we give credit where credit is earned. Absolutely. Um, like, again, he even says everyone there, himself included, stop breathing for a second, right? Like, this is someone she's, gorgeous. She's I, stunning. Yeah, I mentioned before, maybe I think on this podcast, but I, I've seen Heidi Klum in person once. Oh, damn. Like, at the, at like the, the Hard Rock Hotel, which existed for 12 seconds in uh, Vegas. In Vegas. Oh, is, oh yeah. yeah. Another one. But it was a bot, you know, it was, it's Vegas. So you're probably a little more done up, but like, she wasn't like, you know, all done out or anything like that. It's like her and Anthony Kiedis were just going through the, the lobby. Mm-hmm. And it was like, kind of like how he describes this. Like I, you could, can't breathe around her. Like not like, it's not, again, it's not a sexual thing. It's just, this creature is unreasonably gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make, like, this doesn't make sense. Like what's happening? <laughs> And I, you can see why supermodels exist. I mean, she really is 
again, I mean, she's obviously gorgeous and sexy and all those things, but like this was stunning. Just from a stunningly beautiful. He just yeah. stops the room. <laughs> so that description right there that Harry says, you know, he's held like caught his breath like that. Absolutely. That, that same thing. I've, I've been there, brother. <laughs> um, Mac refers to her as Lily. No honorific or anything like that. But he says, good to see you. He does bow his head. She smiled warmly at the use of her name, which, again, kind of connected to that, where I wonder if a lot of people don't use it mm-hmm. because she is, you know, she says, Mac, do you still make those lemonade ice cubes? Two, Fix said, grinning more broadly. So everyone loves this lemonade. Maybe it is patented. Hey, it it might be. be pretty famous. All throughout Fairy, they, they, but well, they're craving this stuff. It's got little sprink- a little sprinkle of crack in each <laughs> ice cube. Another, again, moment where Harry's chivalrous. He stands up, you know, as Lily approaches the table. And after she sits, he sits. They're old again, world just, manners. Exactly. Totally fine and reasonable and kind and polite. So Harry goes on, you know, describes his kind of mission here. He, he's been asked to get in touch with them. After the Red Court's attack last year, they encroached onto fairy territory. We were expecting a response. We're wondering why there hasn't been one. And Lily asks, we meaning the council trying to basically you know and harry says we who are you talking about who wants to know this mm-hmm. and his honesty is works out here he says we meaning some me we meaning me and some people i know this isn't exactly a official fix is is happy with this because they're not permitted to speak for the summer court mm-hmm. but because fix and lily are have a prior claim of friendship you know harry's their friend he's helped them out when they needed him there's nothing preventing them from having a chat it's an interesting in-between, and we talk a lot about Letter of the Law, and this conversation is really intriguing on that front. Yes, very much right? so. Where neither of them are t- are speaking for their the entity of which they're a part of. Correct. But they have a prior established relationship, so it's a we coup. Yeah, so we learn here through this conversation <laughs> that a couple, actually a couple really important pieces of information. One, that the winter night is still alive. Oof. The last time we saw him, he was crossing Mab, double crossing. He was being a traitor to Winter, and he was leaving the battle above Chicago in Mab's clutches. And he's still alive. So I assume he's had a wonderful, calm, and patient existence these last few years. (laughs) We also learned that Lily and Fix are under a compulsion to not speak and give information to Harry, because even though the information they have to give could help themselves. The summer queen Titania is still angry with Harry for killing her daughter, Aurora. Again, even though Aurora was in the wrong and Aurora needed to be stopped, it's still her daughter. And so there's these rules, this letter of the law over the top of them. But Harry's able to kind of ask them theoretical questions, like what kinds of things might prevent winter and summer from reacting? Harry's very good at speaking fairy. Exactly. He's, he's worked with them enough that he really has been able to kind of understand a lot of the nuance, which is good because Harry isn't a nuanced guy, right? Yeah. So this is, again, just evidence of his maturity and his kind of listening and understanding what's going on with the Fae in particular. But the idea is basically Summer's ready to fight, but Winter's done nothing. And if Summer fights and moves their strength away from the borders, Winter has no nothing stopping them from invading and causing problems in summer. Mm-hmm. So the question now kind of shifts to, why 
is winter not interested in helping? And obviously summer aren't the right people to ask that. But basically all they've been able to discern is that Mab has seemed to be erratic of late is the word that Lily uses. And, you know, Harry references Shakespeare mm-hmm. and said, you know, she's a lot of things, but she's constant as the Northern star. He refers to her as a damned big glacier, not something you can do to stop her, but you know just how she's going to move, which is a great reference that I like. You know, the last time we saw an erratic, unbalanced monarch of the fairy courts, it was Aurora and she almost ended the human existence. Yes. It was a time, would have been a time of, of great growth, which is great if you're a bacteria, but it would not have ended well for humans, or it could have turned into an ice age, depending on how it went. Yeah. But if Mab had blown a gasket, matters would, wouldn't be just as bad. They would be much, much worse. So Harry says that he needs more answers, and he, they're his friends, and they want to give them, but they really can't. And so Harry has to think of someone who knows what's going on and isn't under a compulsion to not help him. Well, yeah. So balance that with someone who might actually answer questions. Yeah, exactly. I do like that. Even Fix doesn't get the machinations quite as well as Harry at this point. Yeah. And, you know, Fix is relatively new to this. It's been a few years, but Harry has been involved because his godmother, right? So he's That's just going to say he's been involved for a much longer time. Exactly. So he doesn't know who they're, they're asking for, but Harry you know, nods to Lily and says, call her. Mm-hmm. And you know, Fix asks, who you, what are you doing? And Harry says, something stupid, probably. <laughs> But this is too big. I need more information. So Lily closes her eyes and does a little mental magic here. And while they wait, Harry orders a steak sandwich. Just started to eat it when a young woman entered the bar who could have been Lily's sister. Same exotic beauties, the same canted feline eyes, pale, flawless skin. Her hair was like a raggedy Ann doll, which... I wish she had said out loud because think of how angry right. would have been at that. Well, and I'm trying to picture it like like a raggedy Andal, like she's got like long extensions or I think at some point they even reference her having dreads. Okay, or like, okay. Or separate braids, maybe. God. I don't recall the specifics, but yeah. She has a shirt that says your boyfriend wants me. She, she prowls across the room. Again, I love I love some of these descriptions here. Mm-hmm. You know, Mab's understudy in wickedness and power. You know, Lily had walked in and there was this extra life in the room and literally flowers were growing. It's kind of the opposite. She walks in and there's like this chill and she, the flowers die. They freeze over. And he says, hello, Maeve. <laughs> Which is an ominous, simple, but ominous ending that I like. Yes. And our buddy Maeve, she's pulling the seductress mode here she says you look like you haven't had a woman in ages have you and then she says just boiling over maybe you and i should have a private talk just the two of us my libido seconded the suggestion heartedly my libido and i generally don't see eye to eye (laughs) i'd rather just sit here and have a nice chat i said to her liar Maeve said smiling i sighed all right there are a lot of things i'd love to do but the only thing that's going to happen is a nice chat. So you might as well sit down and let me get you a drink. And she again asks how long it's been. And he says, the last time I saw Susan, I guess. No, not love, wizard. Need. Flesh. The two aren't mutually exclusive. I want an answer. Looks to me like there's all kinds of things you want that you aren't going to get. 
You might as well indulge her, Harry. She's as stubborn as any of us, the only one who might give you answers you need, and she knows it. Tell me, mortal, when the last time flesh, new and strange to your hand, lay quivering beneath you, hmm? When was the last time you could taste and feel some little lovely's cry? I regarded her without any expression, and said in a gentle voice, Technically, when I killed Aurora, Maeve's expression flickered with an instant of uncertainty. You remember Aurora, I told her quietly. The last summer lady, your peer, your equal. When she died, she'd been cut dozen, several dozens times with cold iron. She was bleeding out, but she was still trying to stick a knife in Lily. So I tackled her and held her down. She kept struggling until she lost too much blood, and then she died in the grass on the hill of the stone table. Dead silence filled the whole place. It sort of surprised me, I said, never putting any particular emotion on the words. How fast it happened. It surprised her, too. She was confused when she died. Maeve only stared at me. I never wanted to kill her, but she didn't leave me any choice. The winter lady swallowed and eased her weight a tiny bit away from me. Let's be polite to one another, Maeve. Please. I now know why Mab wants you. Does a barkeep still have those sweet lemon chips of ice? They're not patented, Maeve. They're not patented. <laughs> but they're famous. But they're famous. Um, throughout, throughout fairy. Throughout the, uh, the other side. Uh, so we get. The never, never. The never, never. The other side, never, never. Same, same. And mm -hmm. so Mac gets her, Mac provided it with his usual silence. As he did, the few people who were in the place cleared out. Most of the magical community of Chicago knew the ladies by reputation, if not on sight, and they wanted nothing to do with any kind of incident between winter and summer. They were safer if they were never noticed. Which, holy shit, the number of times he clears out this bar. <laughs> it With just the people he hangs out with. And, he, you know, he talks about when he defeated Aurora, a lot of it was luck. I caught her with a sucker punch. If she'd been focused on taking me out instead of finishing her scheme, I doubt I would have survived the evening. Sure, I might have stared Maeve down, but ultimately, I was bluffing, trying to fool the oncoming shark into thinking I might be something that could eat it. If the shark decided to start taking bites anyhow, things would get unpleasant for me. But at this time, at least, the shark didn't know that. And then this made me giggle. So as Maeve is drinking her lemonade, it, she starts crunching in her mouth. The lemonade had frozen solid when it passed her lips, which made me feel pretty damn smart for avoiding the whole sexual temptation issue. <laughs> it just made me giggle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Maeve goes in on Lily trying to, you know, get the, uh, the upper hand about how the last winter night pulled her into the court for performances and some of them hurt and some of them didn't. And... Do you remember the night he made you dance for me in the red shoes, Lily? Do you remember what I did to you after? I'm sorry, Maeve. I know how much pleasure you take in gloating, but you can't hurt me with that now. That Lily is no more. And then she tries in on Fix. And Fix, bless him. For the love of God, Maeve, would you give the evil Pinterest <laughs> act a rest? It gets pretty tired. It gets tired pretty fast. And then she puts her drink down, a little petulant brat. What is it you wish to know, wizard? I'd like to know why Mab hasn't been striking back at the Red Court after they've trespassed on Shi territory during the battle last year. 
That is knowledge, and therefore power. What are you prepared to trade for it? Forgetfulness. I can think of nothing in particular that I would want to forget. I can think of something you want me to forget, Maeve. Can you? I'd be willing to forget what you did at Billy and Georgia's wedding. Pardon? I don't seem to recall being present. She knew the score. She knew that I knew it, too. Her legality pissed me off. Of course. You weren't there. But your handmaiden was. Jenny Greenteeth. I saw it through her glamour. Didn't you know who shut her down? That was petty cruelty, Maeve, even for you. Trying to ruin their marriage. Your wolf children did me a petty wrong. They killed a favorite hireling of the winter court. And then Lily interjects here, saying that it was nobody's fault but Dresden's. Dresden had the power in that situation. They were under loyalty to him. Even the little folk were under his will. Maeve gave Lily a dirty look that was almost human. For what happened that night, they were mine. I protect what is mine. You should know that by now. I have lawful reason for a quarrel with you. Maeve's attention moved back to me, and her expression became remote and alien. What is it you propose? I'm willing to let things go as they are, all accounts settled, in exchange for an honest answer to my question. Why hasn't Winter moved against the Red Court? Mab has not allowed it. The Queen has readied her forces to strike at summer, and has furthermore given specific orders preventing her captains from conducting operations against the Red Court. That's madness, Lily said quietly. It well may be. Dark things stir in Winter's heart. Things even I have never seen before. Dangerous things. I believe they are important. How so? What Aurora attempted was insane. Even among the she, her actions could have thrown enormous forces out of balance, to the ruin of all. Her heart was in the right place, Fig said, his tone mildly defensive. Poor Fix. Maybe, but good intent doesn't amount to much when the consequences are epically screwed up. Hearts. Good. Evil. Mortals are always concerned with such nonsense. These mortal notions. Good. Evil. Love. All those other things that you're kind natter on about. Are they perhaps contagious? Some would say so. In the time since her death, I've often thought to myself that Aurora was stricken with some mortal madness. I believe the Queen of Air and Darkness has been taken by a similar contagion. I have answered you with truth, and more than be needed be said. Does that satisfy the accounting mortal? Aye, good enough for me. Then I take my leave. She bugs out of there and knocks her lemonade to the ground and it freezes before it hits the floor. Which is a dick move. A total dick move. But it freezes, so I think that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. So you can um, sweep it up if you hurry, but it's, it's hot out. It's gonna, it gonna is melt. hot out. She, after she leaves, it's going to melt. And then Max got to clean it up. It's going to be a sticky floor. Just a dick. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And she is a dick, and she's doing it too. She totally is a dick. And then Fix says she's lying. She can't lie. Lily and Harry say at the same time. She can't speak an outright lie, Fix. None of the she can. You know that. And, you know, the concern here is Mab, insane. And Lily says it does fit with our concerns. I loved her like a sister, but Aurora's madness was bad enough. If Mab sends out to send the world, if Mab sets out to send the world on a downward spiral, I mean, I can't even imagine the kinds of things she would do. I can, I said quietly. I would suggest that you relay word of this to Titania, lady, and take it as official concern from the council. I do love how when he's talking to her as a friend, she's Lily, but as soon as he's saying it's official concern for the council, she's lady. 
I literally have like three notes from this chapter and that was one of them. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, I love it. And so now he's directed it back at being at council business, which is important. Mm-hmm. You know, all of this information, they got it at, on a personal level, but he's able to say, hey, pass some of this stuff along, the important stuff. Mm-hmm. And Lily has stretched the bounds of her proper place and they both wish they could have done more to help, but they can't. Harry says, you did what you could. I appreciate it. And they disappear as well. They left. Door never opened. And he and Mouse are left at the table. More trouble in fairy. Bigger trouble in fairy. And I'd be willing to bet dollars to naval lint that I knew exactly which stupid son of a bitch the council would expect to start poking his nose around in it. <coughs> Fact. I appreciate that immensely. And so Matt came back and switched the lemonade out for a beer. Harry says they've changed, fixing Lily. It's like they aren't even the same people anymore. Max grunted once and then said, they grew up. Maybe that's it. And he sits there brooding with Mouse and he finishes another beer and puts money down and gets up. I had other business to take care of. Nebulous maybe threats would have to wait for the monsters I was sure would show up in a few hours. At least I'd gotten out of the whole situation without someone trying to kill me or declaring war on the council. I'd had a civil conversation with both Lady Winter and Lady Summer and come away from it unscathed. As I walked toward the door, though, an idle thought gnawed at me. It had hardly been like pulling out teeth at all. He was meant to have this information. It's a manipulation, is what I got from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, remember, like, Maeve even said, I have answered you with truth, and more than needed be said. And the Fae never give more. They, it, they can't, right? I mean, like, definitionally, if they give something, they're are owed yeah. something in return sketch sketch so we were doing short stories one of the ones we're doing this week is going to be something borrowed which will tie in to this chapter and is about involves that confrontation and that spoiler alert but she already said it but the the wedding of billy and georgia so that's something borrowed that's one of the two short stories we're going to do this week coming up so looking forward to your thoughts on that and the timing could not be more perfect as we head into chapter 21. So we head back to SplatterCon, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And he grabs a lot of his wizard accoutrement, his staff, his blasting rod, his dog, his gun, and his partridge in a pear tree. He didn't have a concealed carry permit for the 44, but working on the theory that it was better to have the gun and not need it than to need it and not have it puts it in his backpack. When he gets to the con, he decides it probably would have been better to not have the damned gun because there was a bunch of police... Saw a couple of patrol cars, a cop in uniform, sweating and miserable looking outside the doors. Again, we see how observant he is. And this is, again, why I kind of kept noting last novel, his lack of being observant in a couple situations, right? Like with Sheila? Yeah, with Sheila, but also, you know, he didn't hear stuff. He didn't, you know, he got snuck up on a couple of times and he recognizes that there's at least two loiterers in street clothes who were paying too much attention to who and what approached the building to be casual strollers taking advantage of spots of shade outside the hotel. So he could recognize undercover cops, basically. He is always, you know, he is this observant. He catches things like that all the time. And it's not just like, oh, when the plot needs it, he's really observant, but he's not usually. Like, no, he he regularly does this stuff because he's an investigator. Like, he's really good at observing things. He knows how to, like, quiet other senses, right? We've seen that with the capital L listening. So like, this is something, a skill of his. And again, just puts into sharp relief 
some of the lack thereof in Dead Beat, which convinces me further that Lashiel might be banging on pots and pans in there. He heads into the convention. <laughs> like, there's exchange with the cop at the door. And, you know, it's a giant tall guy with messed up hair. He's obviously been beaten up. He's exhausted. He's got a giant dog and some sticks. He's got uh, one hand in a leather glove, but he's got his horror convention name tag. So uh, he lets him in. He heads into the convention and it's in full swing. You know, last time we were there was night on a weeknight and Molly was very defensive. This place is popping. They've added a press conference. There's a bunch of reporters and photographers around some of the crime scenes. And there's a ton of cops again. I think he just said he sees three more uniformed cops. The air conditioning has been pushed to its limit. It's hot and gross. Um, like a sh- summer in the Midwest. Yeah, strange, Weird. strange things are afoot. He heads in and Murphy catches up to him, asks how the meeting went, mentions how the place is very crowded. It's a zoo. She says that she's spoken to staff and they've almost doubled the number of attendees since the story hit the news and radio. Green called in the feds and among them is Murphy's ex-husband, Rick, who happens to be her current brother-in-law, which we've seen before. So (laughs) Murphy's going to be further on edge. Harry's already got multiple things to worry about. And, you know, obviously it's not Murphy's call, even though they'd rather him not be there, but presumably he's good at his job if he can just abracadabra transfer and stuff. They've got some of the more advanced forensics on the task as well, you know, pouring money and resources into this case, which makes sense, obviously. It's a multiple grisly murders at this point. But it, as more and more people come, and Harry mentions, there's more and more potential victims. You know, with most of them minors, you know, Harry be- offers to bet 50 bucks that most of them are minors and she says no bet. And he mentions about young people because of hormones and just brains developing and stuff that they feel emotions more intensely. So there'll be more appetizing prey for our predator here, the Bobophage. But then she has a good revelation that then why did they hit Pell first? So again, just something to think about here. It adds, throw it on the pile. Yeah, and things. you know, Harry had said before they didn't want to shut down the convention because he does want to have this kind of target. Like I said, it's not quite just bait because this is an easier way to stop them if they know where they're going to hit. But also, it's a little bit baity. That was when there was a few people. Now it's crazy, right? There's, it's going to be difficult even for them to get through it to stop the killer when they know when he's there, right? So it is a lot crazier. Obviously, if there's a panic, there can be a crush and, you know, all sorts of problems here. Harry thinks our bad guys will be stronger after sunset it that totally made sense when he said that because i didn't realize that um hell had been attacked before sunlight and then it or before sunset i was like oh yeah, yeah no, i totally like and sense. again it's murphy that that makes that jump right harry obviously you know, a lot of bad things are stronger after dark and murphy yeah. makes that jump that it, that's why pal survived because it's daylight and he, he agrees with her so they have a little bit of time to set up some wards is harry's goal and you know, she says, like at your place, nothing that complex. There's no time. He can't build a moat, but he can throw together a web. Basically, he wants to know when they're coming. And that way they can try to feel like they're going to have to fight monsters, as they mentioned, right? Yeah. Or if they're really good, maybe they can catch him. But at this point, it doesn't seem super possible. But so he has the idea to contact the fire department. She says she's got a cousin in the somewhere over there. Of course she does, because there's... She has... A million family members ever. Well, yeah, but also we know there's, it's kind of a cop family, right? So there's going to be somebody on the other side as well. (laughs) We have an uncle who's been a cop his whole career. He's just retired Mm -hmm. relatively recently. And 
And he's still working with the department. Yeah, he's still around, but he's mostly partially retired. But he he doesn't. It's a it's a joke within the family that that he that he hates he hates firefighters. We see it. Yeah. Too. They're American it's heroes. also on on Brooklyn Nine Nine is is a big funny recurring joke. But <laughs> all they do is sit around all day eating chili and lifting weights, and then they show up to somebody's house and they're the heroes. I go anywhere and I might get shot at. <laughs> yep. Which is very yep. funny, but obviously it's a big law enforcement family. You know, they got people involved all over the place. She's Irish Catholic, and there's probably one or two, well, one or three Irish Catholics in the Chicago Fire Department. At least. Yes. That's the <laughs> joke. Um, I, yeah, I, I, know, I, I know. know. Just like referencing the fake Arnold on, what is his name on Simpson? Either way. Like brain only has room for so much. So she's going to call her cousin. He, you know, Harry thinks they're definitely over capacity. So get the fire marshal involved just to thin it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. They've got nothing on the mundane side, basically, because Brioche, you know, it's a big case, high profile case. So obviously Butters boss took the case. So Butters wasn't involved. Green thinks maybe it's a publicity stunt to attract attention to the convention. It's pretty thin. Harry calls it cynical. I think it's stupid because you can't enjoy it if you get caught. How much money are these children making? It just is a bit of a reach, but you need, he's just trying to find, figure out some motive. So whatever. Random crazy guy isn't really a good thing to work with because it doesn't rule anybody out, right? So he's got a tough spot and there's really nothing he can do to even help in this case, but he has no idea of that. He mentions that Murphy had her first face off with the supernatural while she was still a beat cop on patrol. Similar to Rollins' experience, right? Mm-hmm. That is referenced in another short story that we're going to read this week. Oh, my goodness. So perfect. So the <laughs> a restoration of faith and something borrowed are going to be those two. And we'll get to see some of the background that they mention in these novels or in these chapters, rather, in this chunk. You know, reference, I've referenced this before on this pod where it gave her an advantage as a detective because at least she knew how much she didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like any expert who tells you they know it all is not an Don't expert. Don't trust them. Yeah, they are not an expert. There's always something out there. So, again, we saw this earlier with, with boyfriend Nelson, but he asks Murphy if she's found anything that might get them closer because she's seen as much weird as most wizards. Mm-hmm. I think you're more capable than you know, which is very a kind thing and a reasonable thing to say to someone. Mm-hmm. He calls her a savvy cop chick. <laughs> cop chick? Sorry, police chick. You know, tells her, don't ignore your instincts. Like, they've yeah. helped us in the past. They're there for a reason. It's funny that he says that right before she almost ignores her instincts and makes a big mistake here. <laughs> but she kind of got gets distracted by a man who emerged from a conference room. And it's Darby Crane, the horror movie director, the guest of honor, who boyfriend Nelson had to go pick up from O'Hare earlier in this novel. So she and Mouse start heading over there. And Mouse starts to growl again, which we've only seen him growling at bad guys and Molly. Molly, the first time we saw her in this novel, but not since. It was strange. But he's growling at Crane and starting to go at him so he doesn't get his arm pulled out of the socket. He starts going before the leash extends to its full length and they head over there. But it's a crazy crowd, as we've mentioned. So they basically can't make their way over to him. There's no way to tell if he'd seen them, but if he had, he would be acting exactly like this, trying to slip out, right? But it doesn't necessarily suggest that he has, because he doesn't really know who they are. He just happens to be looking to slip out and go up to his hotel room after 
chatting with fans and spending some time. And that seems to make sense, right? Let's go up and have a quick drink before his next talk and probably has another meet and greet at some point. But as they're trying to get there, it looks like he beats him to the elevator and Murphy kind of nods at him and jerks her chin at the elevators and he gets to drop his Hexus spell, which is how he intentionally breaks electronics as opposed to the accidentally, which he doesn't have a spell for. He fucks up the elevator. It closes and then it goes bing and opens up before they close all the way. Starts to close, opens up, starts to close, opens up. And they finally get there. And as they approach, they see Darby, a surprisingly good-looking slender man with stark cheekbones. His posture was nothing but relaxed non-aggression. But as he gets there, he realizes that the whole thing was a lie. He says there's a cruelty lurking below the calm of his features. Contempt hiding within the modest posture of his body. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Very observant. He catches these things from, you know, not far, far away, but before they've really gotten all the way there, as he's as he's walking up, he makes these quick assessments, which is cool. Because he's he's also in investigator mode. Oh, exactly. It's just I love seeing, again, the kind of the juxtaposition with what we saw last time where he's really on top of it. He's on the top of his game again. Yeah. And he just had a concussion. So you could say his brain is working better than ever. <laughs> Maybe he has help. Who knows? Right. He sees Murphy and Dresden coming over. And Darby makes the correct assumption that she's a cop. He asks, may I help you, officer? Maybe she has her badge out. Probably, I guess. I don't know if he mentioned that, but he says, may I help you, officer? And she corrects him without any rancor. Lieutenant, actually. My name is Karen Murphy. I'm with. And he cuts her off to say Chicago Police Department special investigations. So he recognizes her. Alarm bells go off in Harry's head. As they would. Of course. And Murphy's stance shifted subtly, becoming more wary, which is great. You know, she... She asks if they've met. He tells her he's seen copies of the video from Fool Moon, where she shot down a madman and some sort of animal several years ago. He, like a lot of people, doesn't think it's real. He says, very impressive, Lieutenant. Have you ever considered work in film? I've been told the camera adds 10 pounds. I've had problems enough. May I take a few moments of your time, Mr. Crane? I suppose that depends on what you intend to do with it. With a boyish and flirty grin. At least he meant it to be. Harry calls him a weasel, but I'm guessing it was actually a boyish and flirty grin. Obviously, Murphy wants to ask him about what happened. He doesn't think he can help them. He was in his room when this stuff happened. You know, she just, again, wants to chat with him. You know, maybe she does, hasn't, did anyone see you in your room, you know, while you're up there or anything like that? Cop questions, by the way. Yeah, again, pretty straightforward, reasonable ones that aren't really aggressive or anything like that. And I say that as a guy that, you know, we've had our conversations about police on, on this pod, but like, that seems like a pretty reasonable... Again, I don't think his responses are unreasonable either mm -mm. for what that's worth, right? Am I a suspect that I need an alibi? She pivots real easy. As a celebrity guest, it's entirely possible that the person or persons responsible might have an unhealthy interest in you. I certainly don't mean to imply any sort of accusation, only concern for your safety. She matched his fake laugh with her politely professional spine. Mm. This is like a great battle, this scene. And it's just chatting. It's just, I love like the body positions and like the way they, they're kind of shifting as they go through this mm -hmm. verbally and physically. It's at that point that his lawyer, a frog-faced guy, much less pretty, <laughs> with a bowl cut, bulgy, watery eyes, large, wide-rimmed glasses, steps out of the stairway. It's Crane's lawyer. Crane introduces him as Glau, my personal advisor and legal counsel. And you know, obviously the lawyer wants to know if he's under arrest. Murphy says no, but basically gets cut off immediately by Glau wanting to take him upstairs. She'd mentioned that it was an 
amiable and cooperative conversation, but she had a look that Harry had seen right before she went to her gun multiple times. So she's ready for violence. She is definitely at the ready. She does not trust him. Absolutely. And Glau, again, does proper lawyering. You mentioned that that everyone with the FBI and the cops have already talked to him. Continued contact would be harassment. Get the fuck away from my client, which again, I have no problem with really. Mm -hmm. Any of the surface level stuff here seems okay on both sides. And Crane tries to calm down Lucius Glau here and continues with his little flirtatious. I certainly don't think of the attentions of so striking a woman as harassment. Mentions that he does have a lot, a lot on his table here, but if you would permit it, perhaps you would care to let me get you a drink of something later this evening by way of apology. Murphy hesitated, which wasn't much like her. I don't know. He extended his hand to her to be shaken, still smiling, and said, if you had still had questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Please, as a token of my intentions, I insist. I would hate for you to have the wrong impression of me. And she's about to lift her hand to shake it with a look of wary amusement. And Dresden covers a bunch of carpet real quick and grips her shoulder right before she touches him. And she kind of recognizes that he's telling her not to do this. Crane doesn't recognize him by sight, but he recognizes the name. Mm -hmm. And who is this? Harry Dresden, I said. Crane went still. Not still like people go still, where you can see them blinking, swaying slightly, and adjusting their balance. He went still like corpses and plastic dressing dummies, and said nothing. He refers to Glau as Froggy. Again, his standard give things nicknames real quickly. They both recognized his name. I felt famous. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. They, They know who he is, but they don't know what he's about. Crane tells him, there are witnesses here, Dresden. You can't move on me. It would be seen. And Harry rolls with that, tells him that he's, since he's a public figure, it'll be great advertising. I haven't been on TV since the last time I was on Larry Fowler. <laughs> you wouldn't dare reveal yourself to the world. Go read the yellow pages in your room. I'm there under wizards. Which is fantastic. Yeah, because Harry is the only one who acts like this. Other wizards keep it. Close to the chest. Yeah, they they lay a lot lower than he ever has. And it's gotten him into some trouble, but also it's helped him grow his friend group and exist on a level that has helped him grow as a person and as a wizard. Definitely. There's a reference to a Leprechaun movie with Sean Connery that I don't know what that is. And I didn't look it up. I'm scared to say, or unfortunate to say. But basically, the conversation's over and... Murphy deadpan says, say, 10 o'clock for that drink, Darby? Hotel's lounge? We'd hate to keep you from your busy schedule. (laughs) He gives a little bow and they head off. And we see like how ready for action Harry was here. He like, his legs are twitching and flexing. The lights get too bright. His head's starting to hurt again. Like he has a ton of adrenaline pumping here. (laughs) His fight or flight was really ready to fight this thing out. And even said that, Violence was much closer to the surface than it seemed. And that's kind of why I referenced how, like, reasonable all the surface-level combo. Everyone was playing their part perfectly. The cop, the guest of honor director guy, and the lawyer were all doing reasonable things, but all of them were ready for violence more so than it looked to, you know, a casual observer, right? Mm -hmm. Which Harry is, of course, not. (laughs) Harry mentions that he's spooky. What is he? I told you. Spooky. Other than that, I don't know. (laughs) 
What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Something about him hit me wrong. When he offered you his hand, it seemed off. Dangerous. She thought he was going to go for the Holden caress routine, which is insulting, <laughs> but not dangerous. Mouse didn't like him, which is good enough for me. Yeah. But she asked if he was a vampire. Could be. Could be a lot of things. Hell, could be human for that matter. Without knowing more, we shouldn't make any assumptions. And she asks if he's involved. And Harry says if he was making the call alone, he'd definitely be our asshole. He's got all the earmarks. If he's the guy, he's out of my reach. He's got a hair trigger attorney and has already spoken to Green and Rick. Any police pressure I brought against him would be harassment. Green won't act on my suspicions. Well, good thing I'm not Green. <laughs> and so they're walking around the hotel. Harry's popping little bits of Play-Doh at different places in the hotel, kind of hidden. What are we doing again? Murphy asked, setting up a spell. With Play-Doh. <laughs> yes. She gave me a level look. I shook out the can that still had most of the original material in it and showed it to her. The little pieces I've been leaving around are part of this piece. See? Not yet. They used to be one piece. Even when they're separated, they still have the same thaumaturgical connection to the original. I told her. It means then I'll be able to use the big piece to reach out and connect to the little pieces. That's what you mean by a web? Yes. I'll also be able to... I can extend energy out to all the smaller pieces. I'll set it up so that if one of the little pieces picks up on a disturbance of the energies, I'll be able to feel it through the larger piece. Like seismographs, sort of? Yeah. And we use blue Play-Doh, blue for defense. Does the color really matter? And he says it doesn't, and, but he talks about the emotions and the belief associated with the different colors. And Murphy compares it to Dumbo's magic feather. It was his confidence that was really important. <laughs> yes, I said, the feather was just a symbol, but it was an important symbol. And then he talks about how he uses blue so he doesn't have to think too much about it. Because to him, blue is for defense. That's one less doubt he has to introduce. And he says, and because it was cheap at Walmart. Walmart, huh? Wizarding doesn't pay much. You'd be surprised how much stuff I can get from Walmart. And. He asks what she asks what he needs. He needs a quiet space, private, and more secure, the better. And we've got to assume the bad guy knows I'm around here somewhere. I don't want to get a machete in the back when I'm busy running a spell. Reasonable. He says it needs about 20 minutes or so to uh, set everything up. And they hear a voice. Somebody's calling him from down the hallway. And it is Sandra Marling, who's the convention chairperson and friend of Molly and Rosie and the kids. And she's, seems a little distressed. She says, I'm such, this is such an enormous amount of, but I don't know who else I can turn to about this. Sandra, what's wrong? It's Molly. What about her? She came here from the hospital a couple hours ago. The police came to talk to her, and I don't think she's come out since then. And none of the officers I've spoken to know where she is, I think. Sandra, take a breath. Slow down. Do you know where Molly is? They're still interrogating her, I think. Isn't that what they say when they try to scare you and ask you questions? Yeah. Was she arrested? I don't think so. They didn't handcuff her or read her from that little card or anything. They can do that? Just drag her into a room? Which room? Other wing. South do second door on the right. And he takes a little piece of paper out, out of his backpack and writes some phone numbers and names on it. And he gives it to Sandra. Call both of these people. 
what do I tell them? The truth. Tell them what's going on and that Harry Dresden said they need to get down here immediately. What are you going to do? Oh, you know, the usual. Get to that phone. I'll catch up in a minute, Murphy said. So Harry and Mouse cruise down past the reporters and he sees Lydia Stern. Lydia Stern is basically a was basically Susan's replacement at the Midwestern Arcane, but she is the pain in the ass of every public figure because she's a damn good investigative reporter. He makes a comment about that. If she had been somewhere in D.C., she could have gotten a Pulitzer by now. She's that good. Miss Stern, I said in a low, gray voice, extra emphasis on the Z and Ms. I wonder if you might have a few minutes. The terror of the Midwest arcane whirled to face me, and her face broke into a cherubic grin. We have another description of her, and again, he can describe a female and not sexualize her. Weird. Harry Dresden. I knew this one smelled right. Could be, I said. I hadn't been real forthcoming with Lydia. It hadn't worked out well with reporters in the past. Whenever I spoke to her, little daggers of guilt stabbed at me, reminders that I could not afford to let careless words get her into too much trouble. This is, again, Harry's example of Harry's guilt towards Susan. And Harry just, he wants to protect people. And he couldn't protect Susan, so he's trying to protect her replacement. You busy? I've got recordings, and I want to jot down some notes shortly. Why do you ask? I need a thug to scare some guys for me. <laughs> I love that they, I need a thug to scare some guys for me. And the dimples in her cheeks deepen. <laughs> I just think it's great. Do, do this for me. I'll give you 10 minutes on this as soon as I have some free time. Done. What do I do? Hang around outside a doorway and just be yourself. Good. I can do that. So they walk down to this room and... There's a, a, a sign now discarded on the floor behind the door, declared that the room was scheduled for something called filking between noon and five o'clock. Filking sounded suspiciously like it might be an activity somehow related to spawning salmon or maybe some kind of bizarre mammalian discussion. I decided that it was probably one of those things. I was happier not knowing. And so Green is in the room, standing on the platform, arms folded, a sour frown on his face. Molly's sitting in the first row of chairs, and she looks exhausted. She looks like she's been crying. And next to her is Rick, Murphy's ex. He's giving her a cup of water, and he's the good guy. We've got good cop, bad cop in this. And he was here in his official capacity then, Agent Rick. Excuse me, Green said without looking over at me. This room isn't open to the public. It isn't? I said, overly ingenuous. Man, I was really looking forward to a nice afternoon of filking, too. Molly looks up and sees him. Harry! Hey, a kid. Mouse heads on over to Molly. They give each other a little bit of doggy human love. Green glowers at him. And after a moment, Agent Rick did too. Dresden, you are interfering in an investigation. Get out. He ignores him. He asks after Rosie. We learned Rosie's unconscious because of the shit she's going through, reasonably enough. Dresden, Green snarled. Harry just keeps ignoring him. Green spat a curse and reached for his radio, presumably to summon goons. Green was an ass. And Harry does another, another little hex. Radio goes pop, boom, bang, smoke. And Green stands there cursing. Damn it, Dresden. Get out before I have you taken downtown. And he continues to ignore Green. 
Hi there, Rick. How was the wedding? Everyone survived it. <laughs> Harry, we're working here. You should go. Yeah. Harry sits down. You can maybe not. I mean, I'm working too. I'm a consultant. You're obstructing an investigation, Dresden. You're going to lose your jobs with the city, your investigative license. Hell, I'll even get you stuck in jail for a month or two. No, you won't. Have it your way, tough guy. Green starts for the door. Molly stands up. Green says, sit down. You aren't finished yet. And she sits back down. Green, green, green. There's something you're missing here. He paused. See, Miss Carpenter here? Can go anytime she damned well pleases. Not until she's answered a few questions. I made this game show buzzing sound. <clears throat> Wrong. This is a free country. She can walk out and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Unless you want to arrest her. You didn't arrest her, did you? Molly watched the exchange from the corner of her vision, being very still and keeping her face down. Molly is hedging her bets. <laughs> she's like, the fuck's Harry doing here? Is he right? But she's being smart and listening. We're questioning her in relation to an ongoing investigation, Rick said. Yeah? One of you guys got the subpoena then? And this wouldn't be a subpoena. It would be a warrant, by the way. Subpoena, subpoena calls you to court. Yeah. See, you're the one out on a limb here, Green. You've got nothing on the young lady. No court order. You haven't arrested her. So anything she chooses to tell you is entirely voluntary. Molly blinked up at me. It is? Green. I can hardly believe this. Did you lie to this young woman to frighten her? To make her think she was under arrest? I didn't lie. You just let her on. Sure, sure. Not your fault if she interpreted you wrong. Say, let's go back and check the tape and see where the mistake was. You are recording this, aren't you? All on the record and above board. <coughs> Green looked at me like he wanted to kick my nuts up into my skull. You've got nothing but speculation. Get out, or as lead investigator, I will have you barred from the hotel. That a threat? Believe it. Oh, man, I'm having quite the moral quandary. Because if you did do that to me, then hell, maybe the press would find out that you're dismissing professional consultants with a positive track record with the city. Oh, and they might find out that you're illegally interrogating a juvenile. Green stared at me, shock on his face. Even Rick arched an eyebrow. What? A juvenile, i.e. one who cannot give you legal consent on her own. I took the liberty of sending for her parents. I'm sure they and their attorney will have a whole lot of questions for you. That's blackmail. No, it's due process. You're the one who tried the end run around the law. You can talk all you want, but you've got no proof. My cheeks ached from smiling so much, and I chuckled. <laughs> Me too. The door, which had never been fully closed, opened on cue. Lydia Stern stood there behind it, her press badge around her neck, a mini tape recorder in her hand, held up so that Green could clearly see it. So, Detective, could you please explain why, as part of your investigation, you're interrogating a juvenile without her parents' consent? Is she a suspect in the crime or witnessed any of the events? And what about these rumors, interdepartmental non-cooperation slowing down the investigation? Green stared at the reporter. He shot a glance at Agent Rick. He's got you. You took a chance. It didn't pay off. <laughs> Green spat a word that authority figures ought not say in front of juveniles and then stomped out. Lydia Stern winked at me, then followed on his heels, recorder held out to him, asking a steady stream of questions whose only reasonable answers would make Green look like an idiot. <laughs>
And then Rick is playing this. He plays, keeps playing good cop. And he's like, what's your stake? The girl is my friend's daughter. I'm just looking out for her. He says, Rick, I'm not a teenage girl. Please don't try to good cop me. Worth a try. You know, he can get the subpoena. It's just a question of running through the channels. That's not my problem. I'll leave it to the carpenter's attorney. I see. You actually are interfering with the investigation. He could make it stick. Come on, agent. I'm protecting the rights of, the, of a juvenile. The ACLU would eat that raw. Besides, what you're doing is wrong. Bullying girls. Hell's bells, man. That's low. A flicker of anger comes across Rick's face. And he starts calling him out. He's like, you don't have a concealed carry permit, do you? You know, they go back and forth. And they're distracted. And we hear Murphy from the door. Would it kill you to stop being an asshole for five minutes, Rick? I hadn't noticed her arrival, and judging from Agent Rick's expression, neither had he. <laughs> I want you to consider leaving of your own will. If you keep interfering, I'll arrest you and toss you in the clink for 24 hours. No, you won't. Good old Murphy. Damn it, Karen, you never know when to quit, do you? Of course I do. Never. <laughs> I love this back and forth. It's fantastic. But I have a feeling that this is just, she's going to need him later. She's going to have to ask him for help whether in this book or another. So they get Molly out of there. They hand her off to Sandra. And uh, he tells Molly, things are getting complicated. I want you to go with your mom. All right? She nodded slowly without looking up. Good. Nice guy, Rick. Maybe a little manipulative. Just a tad. What happened? So he gives her a rundown about what happened. And she says, wish I could have seen the look on their faces. She says, what's our next move? Hey, we're in a hotel. Let's get a room. He's just being a douche. <laughs> but he's intentionally just pushing her buttons. So here we are, heading up to our hotel room. You are a pig, Dresden. I don't like how, they, how he talks about her blushing. I don't think she'd blush. I really don't. I don't think that's Murphy. I don't think that's really with her character. But hey. Hey, I didn't put any innuendo into it. You did that yourself. Yes, sir. Alone together. It's a little weird. A little weird. Should be. I mean, we're working together. We've done that before. We haven't done it in a hotel room. Yes, we have. But they all had corpses in them. Uh, true. No corpses this time. <laughs> the night is young. Then they have a little back and forth about how they're friends. And she isn't what Harry wants and Harry isn't what she wants. That she wants someone she can grow old with, have children with. And Harry's going to live for a couple hundred years. We're so different, our worlds. Not really. We sort of hang around in the same one most of the time. That's work. My work isn't everything about me, or it shouldn't be. I've tried a relationship built on having that in common. Rick? She nodded. Pain flickered in her eyes. I've seen Murphy in good times and bad. Mostly bad. She'd never say it, never want me to say anything about it, but I knew that her failed marriages had wounded her more deeply than she would ever admit. In some way, I suspected that they explained some of her professional drive and ambition. She was determined to make the career work. Something had to. He says, what if you weren't a cop? What if you weren't a wizard? Touche, but indulge me. What happens when Susan comes back? She isn't. Indulge me. And he kind of gives her a rundown about, they agreed to break it off. It's never going to happen. Let's say we get together. How many kids do you want to have? What? You heard me. I don't, hadn't really thought about it. And Harry really ponders this for a minute about how much he missed out on not having a household like the Carpenters, about how children of his would inherit his legacy and his enemies. 
Maybe you're thinking about this too much, Murph. Logic and reason and planning for the future. What's in your heart doesn't need that. I used to think that too. I was wrong. Love isn't all you need. And I just don't see us together. Harry, you're dear to me. I couldn't ask for a kinder friend. I'd walk through fire for you. You already did. But I don't think I could be the kind of lover you want. We wouldn't go together. Why not? At the end of the day, we're too different. You're going to live for a long time if you don't get killed. Centuries. I'm going to be around another 40, 50 years at most. She says she doesn't think she'll ever get involved with a man again, but if she does, she wants someone to build a family with, grow old with. You're a good man, Harry, but you couldn't be what I need either. Murphy took her thumb from the button and left the elevator. I didn't follow her right away. She didn't look back. Dab. Twist. God, I love being a wizard. Poor Harry. So they get to the hotel room, and Murphy's standing in the doorway, like in the hallway, and says, need anything? And he basically gives her an out after that conversation. He says, there's something I'm curious about. Maybe you could check it out. Pell's Theater? Murphy guessed. He could hear relief in her voice. And you know, he tells her to go cruise over there, see what's going on. She asks if he thinks there's something in there. Well, I don't know, but it's possible. But if you get a bad feeling about anything, don't hang around, just vamoose. She says she'll contact him in a half hour. And there's a really serious line that, like, I didn't catch. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I'm sure I've read it. I know I've read it. I know I've heard it. But where he says that neither one of us voiced what we were both thinking, that if Murphy missed the check-in, she'd probably be dead or dying or worse. So he says, half an hour. She shuts the door. Mouse does the standard three circles, settle down on the floor, dog move. Crunch the uh, leaves and sticks underneath instincts. He realizes chalk's not going to work on a circle, so he has to use fine white sand, which the maids would doubtless find it annoying to clean up. But life could be hard sometimes. I like that his first instinct is to do, use the chalk and make it easy to clean up. But when he can't, it's like he's got to do it. So he gets Bob out of the bag and he gets the Play-Doh out so he can work on the spell here. And I like how Bob asks, can I talk now? Which if he couldn't, that would be a problem. Right? So <laughs> he somehow had to have known that he could. But yeah, you've been listening to things. Yeah, Bob said depressed. You are never going to get laid. <laughs> I'm just saying. It isn't my fault, Harry. She'd probably bang you if you didn't take it so god-awful seriously. <laughs> Goodness me. The subject. Change it. We're working now. Oof. You know, so Bob mentions that by the time something sets off the web, it's already going to be here mm -hmm. in the real world because that's where the web is, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, he says, it isn't perfect, but it's all I've got, unless you have a better idea. The thing about having several centuries of experience and knowledge at my disposal, do you like that knowledge? is that it doesn't do me any good unless I know what it is you want me to help fight. So far, all you know is that you've got an inbound phobophage. That's not specific enough? No. I can think of about 200 different kinds of phobophages off the top of my head. I could probably come up with 200 more if I took a minute to think about it. <laughs> Which, terrible. My accent's getting worse on that one. <laughs> I, some of them get better some weeks it gets worse, but believe it, believe it or not, the old take the form of your victim's worst fear routine is pretty much the most common move in the phobophage handbook. That seems like a pretty obvious take that, but I, I also don't mind that Harry didn't catch it. Like that, that taking the form of the victim's fear is common. Like, mm -hmm. of course it is. But also like, again, Harry doesn't know everything. And Harry's worried about intervening if the thing shows up and Bob corrects him. Things, plural. 
Phages are like ants. First one shows up, then two, then a hundred. There's good conversation about how the phages are getting here, what they're trying to do, right? Are they just naturally finding this place and looking to feed? Or is someone drawing them here? So Harry was thinking about veiling the place from the Never Never, which would work if it was the former. But if it's the latter, then someone will still be able to draw them there like a beacon, even though it might slow them down. So either they're being summoned on this side or sent from the Never Never, but sending something from that side is a lot harder physically. It just takes a lot more mm-hmm. power than it does to put up the beacon and call them in. So something like an archangel, the Earl King, or an old god, or a fairy queen could have that much power, but it's not like just a random bad guy that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. There's a good quick conversation about Bob says, you know, oh, sure, sure, a fairy queen could do it. We're not going to, we're not going to go visiting the fairies or anything, are we? Not if I can help it. Oh, good. One of these days, you're going to have to tell me what you did to make Mab want to kill you. But most likely, it's a summoner. And, you know, again, somebody threw a ward up, which you mentioned in, or you read in that chapter, to slow him down mm-hmm. after the, during the blackout. So clearly, somebody on this side needs to be at least involved somewhat, if not the main perpetrator. Harry comes up with the idea, I like the way he describes it, of instead of trying to hide the hotel or keep him out, what if I just put a little topspin on him on the way in? Yeah, it, Bob calls it classic white council doctrine. When the phages come through, you point them straight at the guy who summoned them. Give him a dose of his own medicine. Right up the ass. There's an image. A summoning suppository. And that's... <laughs> if, right, if the summoner we know is... We assume, rather, at this point, kind of put it simplest possibility, is he's basically a beacon pulling <laughs> him in instead of him pulling them to the hotel or to the convention, Harry wants to send them right at the summoner. So basically, the guys that he's bringing to cause mayhem will be knocking down his front door. It'll be like hanging a stake around his neck and throwing him to the lions. Hail Caesar, Bob confirms. And once he's out of the game, we veil the hotel, and then none of the ants coming to the party can find the, the problem. And the good guys win. Or at least you do. Still a good guy, right? You know how confusing the whole good-evil concept is for me? Now, thinking about changing it to them and us, for simplicity's sake. <laughs> he asks if you'll have maybe 20 seconds, but only if they're super lame. Most likely it'll be 10 or less. 10 or fewer seconds. Less and fewer don't mean the same thing. Learn that from A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> it's a small window. Very small window. But obviously it's what we got at this point, so... Trying to get the, get the web up as best he can. He's trying to, you know, finish this situation up here. Mouse lifts his head up and starts staring at the door. And a second later, someone knocks. Harry, you know, thinks it's Murphy initially. But in the hallway is Molly with an overnight bag. She drooped the way his houseplants always used to when he was still optimistic enough to keep buying new ones. She had mascara laid in tear tracks on her face. She looked rumpled. Her hair was hanging listlessly. And she tells him she's, she's kind of messed up. I want to clean up a little, but they won't let me use the bathroom in Nelson's room. I was hoping I could use yours just for a minute. Sure. Just keep it quiet, okay? And she follows him into the room and she stops to scratch Mouse behind the ears. She sees all the stuff he's got going on and asks what he's doing. Magic. What does it look like I'm doing? <laughs> she smiles and says, oh, oh right. And he's going to try to prevent another attack. 
I can't believe. I mean, I, I knew there were things out there, but my friends, Rosie. Her lip quivered and her eyes filled with tears. I'm going to stop it from happening again. I'm sorry I didn't move fast enough the first time. She nods and kind of swallowing, trying to hold back the sobs and the tears, and basically follows through on Michael's request. He tells her it's serious stuff. You need to talk about it. Not with me, I added as she looked up. With your mom. She isn't. Molly, life can be short and cruel. You saw that last night. You gotta look at the kind of things your dad deals with all the time. Even knights can die, Molly. Shiro did. It could happen to Michael, too. How does that make you feel? What do you think it does? <laughs> Scared. Scares your mom, too. He basically gives Charity some grace. Yeah. Which I really, I really like that. You know, like, yeah. she's not a control freak, he says. It's because she loves you and she's worried at her family being torn apart by the, like, the real-life bad guys that are out there. And he's he's so, explaining it to her in like, you know, not, oh, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong. But look, you got to see it from both sides. He's kind of asking her to to find the, the, the perspective that her mother is coming from, which is a really kind of good way to sort of talk to her about it, I think. Yeah, again, it's just perspective, right? Like 100%, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't tell her she's wrong at all, no. at all, right? None of this is she's wrong, is you're wrong. And you know, he says that I'm not saying your mom is perfect because God knows she isn't. <laughs> but you've got the kind of family people like me would kill for. You think they'll always be there, but they might not be. He mentions that he had promised her dad to ask her this and to get them to sit down. But then he straight up asks her, will you sit down with her? I, I don't know if it'll do any good. We've said so much. I can't force you. It won't do any good. I don't expect miracles. Just try to talk to her. Please. And she nods. He says, thank you. She tried to smile and hovered for a moment. Molly, are you okay? No, she just made a broken girl think about her dad getting stabbed by a monster. Of course she's not okay. She nodded but didn't move. He asked if there's something she wanted to say. She said, no, it's nothing. Really. Thank you. I won't be long. She closes and locks the door, starts her shower, and Bob gets gross. Very talking about how fresh she is i was so vile yeah bob is bob 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 is bob and harry does a reasonable pushback till he talks about a rack but nobody's perfect bob just no for crying out loud she's 17 but you go get in that shower with her and you've got your own personal cable tv erotic movie <laughs> it is awful but it's but it's funny oh, it's a funny reference he says, even if she wanted it, which she doesn't, nothing's going to happen. I'm trying to work here. Puts the skull in a drawer. Muffles <laughs> a few curses in ancient Greek. Something about a sheep and skin rash as he's in there. But he looks up in the mirror and now he sees Lashiel saying the same thing. But I, I do like, the perverted little creep has a point, my host, she says. Bob is my little creep and I'm the only one who gets to call him names. Now go away. Fascinating though. That boyfriend Nelson bears quite the striking physical resemblance to you, she adds just before vanishing. Stupid demons, always with the last word. Bitches. Worse, she had a point. And he kind of goes through and realizes, as a rebellious girl, the bad boy wizard that her mom hates, that comes around once in a while, looking roughed up and dangerous, could certainly be somebody that she was intrigued by. Charity's disapproval would help. Maybe she did have ideas in her head. Maybe she did like him. Maybe not. But 
The passions of youth, its attractions and desires, were a minefield one took lightly at one's own peril. Magnificent rack notwithstanding. Molly was still in every important way a child, my friend's child to boot. She was hurting, and he wanted to help her, but he had to be aware of the fact that her, his sympathy could be misinterpreted. She had issues and needed to work things out. She didn't need someone who would only make her more confused. He pours his magic into the spell, gets the web lit up with power, and he breaks the circle of sand to send it all out through the hotel. And, you know, he's sitting there breathing, temporary flood of fatigue, as we always see after big spells, right? He mentions this is not complicated, but it was a big one. So it obviously took a lot out of him. And Murphy's there, sliding into the room and, you know, asks what he did. And he said, if bad mojo shows up, the spell will sense it. He gives her two candles. If you see it flare up, it means we got incoming, which we've seen a version of this spell she mentioned earlier in his neighborhood when the archive was coming to his house the first time. We saw these similar candle situations, right? So it's a, a smaller, less powerful version of that spell, basically. She saw there's three candles, one for you, one for me, and I thought we'd see if Rollins wanted one. Is he here? Gut feeling. He seems like the kind who sees something through. <laughs> Even though he's been injured, he's going to be there, right? Like, obviously. We saw, same reason we saw him at the, hotel, or at the hospital. He asked about the theater and everything was locked up and chained up, closed till further notice. You'd think Pell would be wild to have the place open. if The convention was providing a significant amount of his income, even if he was in a hospital bed. Hell, especially if he was in a hospital bed. Unless he doesn't have anyone he trusts to run it for him. But he does have someone he trusts enough to lock it up? That doesn't track. Pell sure as hell didn't lock it after he was attacked. She called, but couldn't get him on the phone. He says, curiouser and curiouser. We're missing something here. Another player. Someone we haven't seen yet? Again, we talked about the borrowed trouble thing. You know, she kind of mentions that, like, imagining hidden conspiracies veers pretty close to paranoia. Maybe not another suspect, then. Maybe another motive. So they kind of start wondering, again, like, why send the phages in the first place? And they decide maybe it's a rope-a-dope, right? Just a distraction. Something worse. Mm -hmm. Something they'd want to stop a lot more. But they, again, we don't know yet. Leave it to you to make paranoia sound plausible. It's only paranoia if I'm wrong, <laughs> which I like. And she's hoping you have something in mind beyond having a minute or two of warning. He doesn't correct her, which is interesting, but about the minute. But he says, it gets kind of technical. I'll try to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Basically explains about how he wants to put the topspin and send it at the asshole. Kind of use the monsters against them. <laughs> but basically, right when they cross over, they'll be vulnerable. So even a few seconds might be useful. And at the very least, she and Rollins will know when to start clearing people out, right? That's a plus. Yeah, that's a plus for sure. Harry, is there someone in the shower? Yeah, I said, rubbed at the back of my neck. He doesn't, he doesn't give any explanation as a petty vengeance. So he doesn't give her anything. She goes downstairs to look for Rollins. Right after she left, someone knocks on the door again. And it's charity. And we'll talk about this. I don't love this interaction. From, even from a narrative standpoint, it just seems a little forced. But I digress. She said, hello, Mr. Dresden, which is about as friendly as it gets. And Father Forthill's there. He's there to mo lend moral support, but also he's an attorney. I do love it. She said Molly was supposed to be downstairs, but she isn't. So, that, you know, again, I, I don't, he says the universe conspires against him. 
If Charity had asked the question 10 seconds sooner, he would have been fine. But the bathroom door opens and Molly comes out in a swirl of steam with a towel wrapped around her torso, not quite getting all the way around. And she says she left her bag out there. And he tries to say it's not what it looks like. And, you know, nothing's going on. But Charity gets very angry and punches the shit out of him, cracks him in the face, you know, trying to say there's nothing going on, but just cracked his jaw and he can't really say it. I may not be able to keep you away from my husband, but if you come near one of my children again, I will kill you. Thank you for calling me, tells the priest, like, there was nothing going on. I believe you. He gives a smile that was one part amusement and four parts apology, and Fort Hill follows him out. And Murphy, you know, must not have gone downstairs before they got there, and she turned around, had turned around, and she sees him and says, Ah, you all right? I guess. Seems to me you should have seen that one coming. Don't laugh at me, it hurts. You've had worse, and it serves you right for letting a little girl into your hotel room. I, like, have never felt that hotel rooms are this sexy as they seem to make them in this chapter, but I digress. Murphy leaves too, and Mouse comes over and gives him some love. Women confuse me, he told him. Mouse sat down, jaws dropping open into a doggy grin. I groaned, pushed myself to my feet, and set about preparing the redirection spell. While outside my room's window, the sun raced for its nightly rendezvous with the western horizon. So Harry is working on the beacon spell. He knows he only will get one chance at diverting the phages back to the summoner. He's working the spell. He keeps working it. He says, I knelt in my circle of sand until my legs cramped and then went numb. And my knees felt like they were resting in molten lead. And all that nothing just kept on coming. Oh, come on, I snarled. Bring on the doom already. Mouse sighs. <laughs> Obviously, Mouse is very intelligent. But he doesn't want to take a break. And then Mouse's tail starts thumping against the wall. And Rollins comes in with his arm wrapped in a bandage and carrying a ward flame candle in his other hand. He uh, open, turns on the light. and. He says, uh, there's something you don't say every day. Murphy found you, I see. Almost like she's a detective. Your boss knew you here? Not so far, but I expect someone might notice and tell him about me at some point. He won't be happy. I just hope I can live with myself later. I love Rollins. And he waves his little candle. Murphy sent me up here to make sure you were, you were still alive. I'm going to need knee surgery. I never planned on it taking this long. You ain't one of those Satan worshippers, are you? This made me giggle much too much. More like Pythagoras. Pahu? He invented triangles. <laughs> and Rollins asks what he's doing. Harry gives him a rundown. But I figured he'd have moved by now. Crooks are funny that way, he agreed. No respect. I said, be smart. Take a break. So he breaks the circle and steps back. Rollins puts his candle aside and he says that he'll be downstairs. Hope this happens soon. There's some kind of costume contest going on, which is a little bit problematic. And he asks Rollins to take Mouse out for a walk and get him a hot dog or something. Just, just no nachos. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. Tell Murph I'll be reset in a couple of minutes. And he's just waiting. He has some snacks. And the room's phone rings. Deja vu, I commented to the empty room. Dresden taxidermy. You snuff it, we'll stuff it. Um, is this Harry Dresden? I recognize that voice. Boyfriend Nelson. We learned Sandra gave 
him Harry's telephone number. And Harry says, why are you calling me? Molly said, she said you helped people. I think I need your help. Again, why? I asked. Keep the questions open, I thought. Never give him one with a simple answer. What's going on? Last night, during the attacks, I think I saw something. It was going around. But if you saw something, you're a witness to a crime, kid. You need to show up and work with the cops. They get sort of unreasonable with people who go all evasive when they want to ask questions about a murder. But I think some thing is following me. Look, they're just cops, man. They just have guns. I don't think they can help me. I hope you can. Why? What is it you saw? No, not on the phone. I want to meet with you. I want you to promise me your help. I'll tell you then. Look, kid. Oh, God, I can't stay here. Please, please. Fine, fine. Listen to me. Stay around people, as many of them as you can. Go to St. Mary's of the Angels. It's holy ground, and you'll be safe there. Ask for Father Forthill. Tell him everything, and tell him I'm coming to collect you as soon as I can. Nelson runs off and drops the payphone so it's literally hanging and he can still hear. The kid was definitely in trouble, or at least genuinely believed that he was. If so, it meant that maybe he had seen something last night, something that made it important for someone to kill him, i.e. some kind of damning evidence that would probably help me figure out what the hell was going on. I felt a stab of anxiety. Holy ground was a powerful deterrent to the things that went bump in the night, or in this case, things that went stab, stab, hack, slash, rip in the night. But it wasn't invulnerable. If something of sufficient supernatural strength really was after the kid, it might be able to force its way into the church. But what choice did I have? And so he settles down again on his knees, closes the circle, and begins to pick up the pieces of the redirection spell once more. The single ward flame candle on the room's dresser suddenly exploded into lurid red light. Simultaneously, I felt a heavy throwing in the air where the strands of my web spell had suddenly encountered powerful magic in motion, drawing my thoughts and attention to a back hallway in the hotel, not far from the kitchens, up to the hall outside the hotel's exercise room, and a swift double thrum from another of the hotel's bathrooms. Four attackers this time. Four of them. At least. I had ten seconds to get the spell off. Nine. Maybe less. Eight. I threw myself into the spell. Seven. It had to be fast. Six. It had to be perfect on the first attempt. Five. If I screwed up this one, someone else would pay for it. Four. They'd pay for it in blood. Three. Two. One. Well, damn, that's a great ending chapter. Oh, it's awesome. Holy crap. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really one. short one, but I'd love uh especially that kind of countdown at the end. Again, oh, yeah. one of those things that I mention all the time, how good he is at upping the tension in a scene. Which is a really cool trait and a really cool skill set as a uh, as an author of this kind of fiction. But yeah, any thoughts on you know heading back to chapter 19, mm-hmm. the meeting with the summer court representatives as well as Flash Harry's friends at different times of the meeting, and then also with Maeve. Maeve's an asshole, but I love how Lily and Fix kind of put her in her place when she's trying to fuck with them and bully them. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's interesting too, where they kind of, Harry kind of works around about from the compulsion that they couldn't tell him anything by bringing, having them bring Maeve in. But I feel like Maeve gave us more information than she should have. Yeah, we touched on that. We did, t- we did mention that, but, and I agree, it's very much, something's afoot, you know, something's rotten in, in the state of Denmark. It very much kind of feels like something is off and almost like Fix and Lily kind of knew, but okay. I don't think they, obviously they can't tell. Yeah. But I do think that there is some shit going down for sure. Yeah. I mean, everything they're talking about, you know, Mab going off the deep end, Maeve seeming to give more than she needs to, mm-hmm. the compulsion against the members of the summer court. There's just a lot of wonkiness, I think is the official term. I think so. So yeah, I mean, do you have any guesses there? Are we going to hear about that? Or do you have any, you know? No, you know, it, it's fine. There's there's a whole there's, yeah, a, I there's a lot of stuff we can theorize on and talk about. I, yeah, I, I mean, at this point, there is, like I said, there's something afoot, but I don't quite know what it is. Yeah, no, for sure. I do also think the um, one of the interactions where Fix says she was lying, but she can't lie. And Lily and Harry know this, but you'd think that he would be aware of that. Yeah, that was also, again, add, throw that on the pile as well, like something that he should know. And I mean, Lily does say it does fit our concerns. Ugh, I don't have the exact quote. You know, Bob said, like, things are always more complicated with the she than than they seem. And we definitely, yeah. it's some, you know, that's a paraphrase, but it's something of that nature. And it's very clearly, absolutely the case here. Um, yeah, that, that line really did jump out at me where Fix said she's lying. Mm-hmm. because. He's not in this world yesterday. He wasn't born into fairyhood yesterday, right? Like he's been a member of the yeah. court for a long time. He's been involved for a bit. Yeah. Now, as a mortal, he can absolutely lie, right? He is not a fairy. He yes. he was a changeling and he must have chosen humanity because he... He couldn't be a knight otherwise. Correct. Yeah. They're the mortal of the courts. So... You know, there's you can hand wave it there a little bit, but he would know better. And yeah, he should at least. You'd think he would. So again, added on the pile, there is definitely some wonkiness going on. And we don't have a lot of clues, but it's one of those scenes that definitely leads you wanting more. Yeah, for sure. Still mad at Maeve for spilling the lemonade. Making Mac lower there and clean up. After he wiped Very he rude. went out of his Very way to rude. wipe down the table for them. Come on. Right. Don't be a dick. Um, oh, that we actually went into 20 there as well. Um, yeah, it's both chapters. The back and forth with Harry and Maeve. Again, you, you mentioned it, how well Fix and Lily did. But I also like his response. His response is, you know, first off, he says, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't want to do that. And she's like, yes, you do. He's like, you call him a liar. And he said, well, there's a lot of things I'd like to do, but we're not going to do any of that. Um, <laughs> again, d- deflecting with honesty. but. I also really liked the not so subtle, subtle threat referencing him killing the summer lady. Yeah. Or at least being responsible for, but I guess officially he killed her, even though it was his general. Yeah. I mean, he's, they were. Yeah. By by fairy law, he is, he is the one they were acting as his vassals. So, but it's just a great little threat. Again, like the pushback that, we didn't see a lot of in Summer Night, right? Ma- no, Maeve, not Ma- at all. Maeve was kind of doing her thing. And this what this is good to see as 
everyone's grown it up, you know, leveled up a little bit. They don't have time for her. They're more empowered. Yeah. That was kind of the energy I got on that. For sure. You know, you saw that physically evident in Lily and Fix. And Harry, we just know what he's been through. And Maeve doesn't scare him like she used to, I don't think. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, I did like that energy there. Yeah, they said Mab was taken by a contagion. We don't know. I don't. I don't know what could be wrong with a fairy at this point, right? Like they're basically immortal from all we understand. Yeah, we don't have a lot more on that lore either, because I mean, she did say you know that like uh, Aurora was taken by human feelings or emotions or human issues, basically. Yeah, and again, you know that leans into Fix's comment about lying, right? Just acting strangely, right? As they're yeah. suggesting maybe Mab as well. If it's a contagion, maybe it's the same. Who knows? Yeah. I love the... But the, the, the whole concept of that is why. Yeah. Why, how? I mean, obviously, you can't be immortal and have children, right? That just the math, the yeah. math doesn't work out. So The math doesn't math? Yeah, it doesn't math out. Pythagoras would have a problem with that. So, <laughs> like, they obviously have some way of dying, and we've yeah. seen it, right? I mean, we, we saw, for instance, we, saw, yeah. we I mean, we saw Aurora die so on screen, so we know that they can. But, you know, there has to be other ways, presumably, if they're off, you know, scioning children all over the place, such that there's all these changelings around. So, yeah, just... Things to think about again. It's just, like I said, just chapters that leave us wanting more because they give us little nuggets of Fey lore mm-hmm. without really giving us something to dig our teeth into. Yeah, and it's it's exposition to some degree, but it's also explanation. Oh, I feel like it's it's like an episode of Lost. All it does is ask questions. <laughs> you know, it answers one thing and it asks seventeen. Yeah, and the, but the, it it gives. I don't know if it you know actually gives explanation, and we're supposed to read between the lines because obviously Harry can't, but and I don't think we can either. But it, it's it's a it's Fay explanation though. Oh, absolutely. You know where it's their method of, of giving explanation. It's like butcher. Are you part Fay? Like the fuck is yeah, this? Yeah, and it's like almost like what they do say. It's obviously encoded right and he's mentioned that before that they can't tell a lie yeah. but they can absolutely trick you into you know losing your lunch or worse so, yeah. so like when he says at the end like you know, it was hardly been like it had hardly been like pulling teeth out mm-hmm. what they didn't say means a lot more than what they did oh 100 even though she's dumping all this information yeah kind of a i don't know how to describe what i mean my meaning there but you, i think you understand it's just like no i, I do get what you mean it's the, the dark spaces in there are really where yeah. There's it's the negative space is telling the story, not just the exact the exposed. And the fact that that's kind of always true, you know, they keep information oh, yeah. it's close to the chest, but Maeve didn't in this case. So yeah. she must have juicier secrets or there's a reason. Yeah. Or she expects something in return, but she didn't yeah. suggest that. So, you know, we've seen in the past where Harry has gotten given up bind- bindings on himself to the Fae without knowing it. Right. Mm-hmm. So perhaps she he owes her something there, but there's definitely an ulterior motive when someone like Maeve, who is not necessarily a villain, but not a good guy, yeah, o- overshares for sure. And I'd say that even if they weren't Faye, right? <laughs> like, yeah, right. But definitely doubly true if they are. Yeah, they, there's always got to be some sort of incentive. Exactly. So figuring out what that is will 
leave us chewing on some uh, pages here. Mm-hmm. I did want to reference one one last thing mm. of that last chapter. At one point, Harry says, I, good enough for me, which is definitely an affectation he picked up from Ebenezer. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cute of a butcher to slide that in. Yeah. Because um, to me, and I just, I just, I like re- referencing that relationship, we saw it is a little bit better than it was, obviously, early in the novel. Yeah. And then, you know, whatever this is. He's had uh, to sit with that inf- that information for a while, too. Yeah. And, you know, he's been able to grind on. Obviously, his early reaction was the only thing we saw between the mm-hmm. two of them. You know, it seems like they don't see each other all that often. Yeah. So that was obviously, you know, tough for them to hold on to for many years. And But now just like a reminder of what that guy means to him. And the impact he's impact he's had on Harry. Absolutely. But I just love how it's so subtle, or maybe not hits, you know, I kind of hits you over your head, but like it, it's relatively subtle and it doesn't mention Ebenezer at all. doesn't mention Mm-mm. anything about that conflict. I like that though. I didn't even, I didn't even catch that, but yeah, no, that totally makes sense. But I, yeah, exactly. It, it, it tells us about their relationship without, you know, having to drag Ebenezer into the scene, which I love. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've got there. Alrighty. 21 the him bringing the gun and then yeah wishing he didn't have the gun was a good back and forth and you know, i love how he's like explained why he wanted the gun and then mm-hmm. it wasn't like later on it was like immediately it hits him in the face that like, oh shit i shouldn't have the gun yeah he, he could have left it in the car but that's also could cause some problems knowing what happened right or actually how did he get the no he took a taxi he doesn't oh. have, he doesn't oh, have he doesn't deal, even right? have a car yeah touche so yeah so he's got he's got it and you know causes an almost issue towards the end here great scene with the investigation i loved um but before that when he's talking to murphy we mentioned it with that with boyfriend nelson that he's starting to kind of like not open up necessarily but trust a little bit more you know he asked nelson what he thought yeah and now he asked murphy what you know keep her eye out with her you know, listen to your instincts and she definitely has earned that for sure you're far yeah. more than nelson but I, I like to see that growing trust in his friends yeah and it shows it, yeah. him growing as a person, growing as a character. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's important too. Yeah. And comparing, we've touched on this a ton lately, but comparing Green and Murphy and having her seen all this shit, he says it gives her an advantage as a detective because at least she knew how much she doesn't know. Yes. Which is like, like almost a theme of this podcast. We reference right. that so often. Yeah. That you, you know, you're a pretty good dead body person <laughs> i'm a pretty good water polo person but yeah. i think neither of us would ever say we've we know it we know oh, it all i if actually had, tell uh, the new people that the most important thing you have to realize is that you don't know everything exactly 100 percent. because it is um, important to to realize that you know there's you're gonna come across something that you've never seen before you just yeah, are and, and i think it's also important that we give green detective green a little bit of grace because he hasn't seen stuff. So he, yeah. he really does have it. You know, he has the, the same reason as you and I to believe in leprechauns, right? So <laughs> he, he should get a little bit of grace here, you know, when something's spooky. But some of this mundane mistakes he's making here, we certainly love to see him get punished for. Oh, yeah. But I do like Murphy's description of him that Green isn't a believer and he's a trained investigator looking for a solid motive. If he accepts that the killer was just some kind of lunatic, it means he's got almost nothing to work with. So he's grasping at straws and hoping he can find something familiar he can use to nail the killer. Yeah, and I mentioned in my breakdown here that I I think it's a really thin 
thing to grasp onto, but I get why he's doing it, right? Yeah. Trying to give him the, the same grace I just mentioned he maybe deserves, but it's a very thin theory and he uses it to kind of run wild. And he's and kind of a dick a child. about it too. Yeah, and he, he's going after a child with shady cop tactics. Yeah. But I do cool. love the, it's very like cop show moment where it's like, he wouldn't be, you know, interviewing a juvenile without her parents around. And they're all like, what? Whoa. And the, let's, rewi- scratch. let's rewind the tape. Oh, you mean you're not recording this? Like, it's just kind of like pointing it all out and just, huh, weird. I I just really love that. I thought. And he, he does that step by step. This is oh, what yeah. should be happening. While also, again, like humanizing the moment, calling for a subpoena instead of a warrant, right? Like yeah. making a very clear but mistake. But then what's his face calls it a subpoena too. So, Rick. Okay. So that's just an author yeah. uh, mistake, which, which is, is fine. But yeah, before we get into that, we meet our director guest of honor darby crane yes what uh what'd you think of that interaction do you have any thoughts and sketchy i don't know why but he's sketchy i don't think he's a vampire but he's i feel like he might be some sort of wizard okay why do you think i don't there's just something i don't feel like he's a vampire but he does got some he does have something going on obviously He's a super sketch creature, whatever he is. Again, nobody's fucking human in my book, apparently. (laughs) Of course, of course. But it also kind of explains, you know, with his, he is a horror movie director, so he's going to have a different perspective on the world. But where does that perspective come from? That's kind of what I feel like the path we're going down. And then when he stopped Murphy from shaking his hand, that's when I was like, okay, he's got some other shit going on there yeah, it's interesting you 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 your mind went to wi- it's interesting your mind went to wizard where remember one of the wives uh-huh. in blood rights one of the wives in blood rights was hosting a party uh-huh. and she you know harry mentioned that she made sure to always be carrying stuff when she was around harry oh yeah so, so that because that you know the, the the wizard tingle you know just an interesting kind of because you mentioned that synergy there you know but then that moving as still as a plastic mannequin as well he also comes right out and says he's a bad guy right where he says you can't move on me here yeah right no that's not something innocent directors he he also knows the rules of engagement basically yeah that was the most that was very revealing and then Harry not letting Murphy shake his hand and then him saying that were two of the most, those were the two most revealing things to me because it was just like, it's knowledge. And mouse growling. Well, yeah, but mouse is just magical. And so the knowledge about the rules of engagement is a huge red flag and Harry not wanting Murph to touch him. I mean, that could just be, you know, the guy gives him the creeps and he was like, mm, this might be something. But the the rules of engagement part was sort of like, oh, he knows the rules. He knows the laws. Oh, shit. He knows something more. And yeah, for and, sure. And that's and I, he's got a slime bag lawyer. <laughs> and the, the interaction where he's, Murphy says, you know, why did you do that? He's spooky. I love what that. What is it? I told you. Spooky. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Facts. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned he's slimy, the lawyer, and I'm sure he is, but I, I actually loved how this scene 
was, I, mean, I mentioned it during the breakdown, but still, it's just like, it's two scenes, right? The underlying tension where they're, you know, a, a hair's breadth away from blowing up the hotel, basically. Yeah. And then they're also having a mundane conversation about rights and in, investigations and things that is all above board and all totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like the surface level of that conversation wasn't, you know, overcopping or overlawyering or yeah. anything like that. It was just exactly what you expect. They just had this kind of battle tete-a-tete, this yeah. fight underneath the surface, which was a really cool way of do it, showing that mm-hmm. conflict. And it's very, very well done. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Harry thinks he's our bad guy. I love that. With, no, he thinks Jeff he's our asshole. <laughs> our asshole, that's true. Which is fantastic. Very important, an important distinction, potentially. Anything else there? Um, I don't think so. I do think that actually, you know, the, the interesting, the interesting dichotomy of the interaction with Darby Crane, who has some supernatural vibe, but it's the, versus the interaction with the cops where it's the, both of them have just as much conflict, but Harry is so much more relaxed with the cops. I mean, in, 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 in fact, the cops can do him more harm than Darby Crane can. You know, at this moment in time, at least, which is interesting. Yeah, sort of. But I think it's we see... known. It's also a known versus an unknown. Well, also, Harry has the a... upper hand. Harry has the upper hand in that role. Yeah, I know he, he does. does. And we've seen him be cautious. I don't think that's a good word to, to describe Harry in any situation. No. But when he doesn't know things, he's at least aware yeah. of the problems he's potentially creating. And he brings up all the time that, like, you give him a full night's rest and some time to put together his materials. He's a, he can beat just about anybody mm-hmm. in a fair fight, but on the fly that, you know, when on someone else's turf, that's kind of when you get into trouble. And yeah. I think, like he said, he knows that Darby's spooky, but he doesn't know anything else about it. So he doesn't know how to fight that and, in the ring. And it's not a fair fight because he doesn't know with the cops. It's a fair fight. Exactly. Yeah, Darby he's, knows he's had time to prepare and he knows yeah, what he's up against. A lifetime of Law and Order reruns. That too. Oh, I thought that was his preparation. <laughs> oh, right. But I do love oh. how he calls out Rick's, don't good cop me, I'm not a teenage girl. <laughs> the, Jim Butcher actually mentions on one of the short stories or audiobooks somewhere that, but I think it's actually something borrowed, that's why it's in my head, that Billy and Georgia were, he, he was writing, what book was that? Full Moon? He said he was writing Full Moon, and in the background, his wife was watching, like, was on a ex-wife now, but was doing a run-through of Ally McBeal. Oh, goodness. And so he thinks subconsciously he named Billy and Georgia after characters on that show. So maybe that's a lot of his... spectacular. Yeah. I've never actually watched that show, so I don't know, but that's but, funny. But maybe some of his legal knowledge also uh, came, came from... through yeah. by osmosis there. That's spectacular. Uh, I love it. It's also just funny to mention that, right? Like he is a great author. Oh yeah. But it's just like it's interesting where people where things come from too for authors. And that's one of the the coolest things about learning like how people's process and things like that. It's fascinating. Oh yeah. The Plato stuff was good. I really loved the Yeah, I did like the Plato stuff. Does the color really matter? Yes. Well, probably no. <laughs> yes, for me. Right? You mentioned that like, it matters to him, so yeah. it's easy for him to focus on defense. I just love that, like showing what he knows, but all, by also showing that you know maybe it doesn't, but yeah, it does in my case, right? 
Yeah. It's important to be always note, you know, like this works for me, but. Well, um, and it's very much a personalization of the magic. Yeah, for sure. You know, because it's like when people do certain things a certain way, whereas is that the way you have to do it? Yeah. Well, no, but it's how I have to do it kind of thing. You know, when someone yeah. is just very skilled at something, has been doing something a really long time. The last couple of weeks, I've been on shift with three different new people. And, you know, I've, I've taken them a couple of them out, of, out to scenes. And, and it's always, this is how I do it. This is how I find it most efficient. It's works for me. You don't have to do it the same way. There are certain things. Yeah, we have to do it this way because A, it's policy or B, it's, you know, it's, it's how forensics are done or whatever. But you don't have to, everybody doesn't have to do it the same way. But I've been doing this for almost a decade and this works for me. And some of it, he has to do it that way because that's how it works for him. And some of it, he just does it how he does it. And I love yeah, it. And it, it also lends itself to the way he views magic mm-hmm. as very personal. And again, that, which is part of the conflict with Ebenezer, right? Is yeah. that how personal and from your feelings and what you care about it comes from. Mm-hmm. And he regularly mentions when other practitioners don't approach magic the same way. Mm-hmm. Not gatekeeping per se, but he definitely recognizes that it's different and potentially problematic. Yeah, most definitely. It's, it also gives credence to Harry's seen a lot. He's seen a lot of, of the spooky stuff from his side of the street. His experiences have built up his skill set. Yeah, and it's something we never really got to view until that battle scene in Deadbeat, mm-hmm. where we saw Lucio and Carlos just wreck shop. Yeah. Which was, was really cool to see, you know, cause he's, he mentions how regularly that he's probably top 10 or 15 in power, mm-hmm. but technique is nowhere close. But part of that too is due to, he didn't have quote unquote proper training. Yeah. Even Ebenezer didn't train him the yeah. way that he's trained other wizards, right? Yeah. He mentioned the book that Ebenezer wrote. That's the first one for every wizard. And Except Harry for him. Didn't get it. Yeah, exactly. Very, very interesting. You know, the idea of a guy that like, can hit like Tyson, but he can't do anything else. Basically, right? like, just kind of flailing. And all of the technique, isn't like Tyson. Tyson was also relatively good. Yeah, but all of the technique is learned as he goes. It's not something that he that was trained into him. It, he learns it as he goes. And you know, like the thing with the Play-Doh, is it how it has to be? No, but it works because there's one less thing he has to think about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I appreciate that. What we saw with these big spells, we saw you know with the ritual that didn't end up succeeding mm-hmm. like how important that kind of thing is yeah. and how much of how much of a load it takes off to not have to worry about that so yeah yeah it's very cool to learn that little bit about magic then we get into the interrogation you mentioned how uh lydia stern is great the oh she's fantastic she's like uh, five foot nothing and just a wildcat <laughs> he likes really tall or really short people yeah there doesn't seem to be much in between yeah, I mean, Fix is, but Fix is magically in between. He was yeah. five foot three. That's true. She, he needs a thug. It was great. You know, we talked about it a lot already, but the interrogation was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Him just ignoring Green. And oh my God, so great. Yeah, so, so funny. So great. Ignore the ego in the room. <laughs> and then I think my favorite part of the whole chapter is after Green storms off, you know, where Rick tries to good cop Harry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a teenage girl. I actually kind of liked Rick. Yeah, I don't think he's he's half bad. Obviously, he was enough of an idiot that he and Murphy are, di- are divorced, but it sounds like it was more like lifestyle and they're he both cops. Married, and... He's also married to Murphy. To a Murphy. Yes, he is. <laughs> and that's something I will get into a conversation about Murphy's family. Probably at the end of the our analysis here, it's maybe it's a crackpot. No, it's not really a crackpot theory. It's just a uh, arbitrary analysis. 
that I texted you about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I don't know, arbitrary. Nothing is arbitrary. That's true. Uh, not, either nothing's arbitrary or everything is. Uh, that's true, too. Uh, that's, it's just, it's a tr- not. <laughs> it just sounds good. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, a pretty good scene overall. I think yeah. they did a pretty good job. And then you mentioned, you know, when he's being a dick about the hotel room. And I kind of. And it's not even like, he's not being a dick. He's just being like awkward and uncomfortable. And then they have that conversation in the elevator about Murphy being like, it would never work. But I do really, I give Murphy major, like the character major props here because she laid it out. She laid it out and she said her piece, you know, because it's no longer a will are they or won't they. Her whole thing is it would never work. You aren't what I need. You aren't what I want. And. You know, I, I really, I'm glad that it came out here because I was just getting so sick of those conversations. I'm like, I hate the Willie or Won't They bullshit. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned, again, I, it's like, it's fine. I just think it's, again, kind of deja vu. Like, we, we've seen this before. Or deja intendu, depending on how, uh, how, you're, how you're approaching the novels. It's just, I hate it. It's not the end of the world. I, again, I just, and, and I think they do a good job of it where it's, yeah. it isn't like, you know, they like think about it and then, you know, have a you know, weird situation and then they like, argue and then kiss you yeah, know it would, it, it would have been easy and hear it harry's awkward and she answers honestly and makes it more awkward yeah but sometimes but, you uh, have to do that oh yeah i mean she she be honest i they're like i don't think it's ever a problem to be honest i, I guess I'm, I'm honest to a fault which disproves that last sentence i guess but well there's a difference between being honest and being a dick when you're being honest like there's a way yeah, no I, i'm not like oh i'm just brutally honest like i'm yeah, not no i hate that that's i hate that mentality that's oh, i like, do too oh my god because it's just you you think it's it gives you carte blanche to be a dick yeah you don't need to be a dick no even if like there's yeah no that's and again i'm a coach right so like that, that wouldn't doesn't work all that often sometimes you know carrots and sticks both have their places yeah no i i i love that again it's a very mature way to have that conversation right yeah. that Harry probably isn't capable of that. And obviously it was hard for him. And sometimes the truth does hurt. But I really did appreciate how she approached the conversation. I do too. Very much so. I, they both, it's mostly Harry talking about it, but she doesn't seem to like disabuse him of the notion. Like this isn't prom night. Hotel rooms, I I just don't find them inherently sexy. No. I don't, I don't know it. It, maybe that's a me thing. It just seems like a weird, like. they're, They're functional. Yeah, and, and I get. I guess I get it more on the Molly side of things. Yeah, but it's kind of led into that by these conversations that, like, going upstairs to our hotel room. Like, yeah, you're not. You're not even both going to sleep there if either of you does, right? Like, it just seems so like such a weird juvenile. Such a weird. It's thing. a very yeah. juvenile kind of that sort of even more so emphasizes Murphy's very mature perspective and approach to that conversation. You know, where he's got this or hotel room and she's like, I this is what I want. At the end of the day, we're too different. His kind of high school going to a hotel room. And she's like, look, I'm thinking about real thoughts here. It wouldn't work between them. And it's, it's just kind of that is like kind of what I got from it, where she was this very mature upfront kind of perspective on it. And he had this sort of juvenile almost perspective on hey, We're going up to a hotel room. She is has a very mature approach to it and i i was very proud of her <laughs> yeah the day before she had mentioned you know that not now but maybe at some point and this was more final but she thought more about it i think yeah. is what it is but again i mean you know is it 
did we mention that or did they mention that like any i think we did any two people you, know, you grow and change over time so yeah. like it, it, it never is nothing's ever finite right it's just that's the reality of people's existence on earth yeah but very much so like it's just not it, it they're they're different people in, may in always different change but that relationship won't necessarily you know where it's like sometimes people are just too different Sometimes it's just not there. It doesn't matter how much either of them change, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one is not going to stay constant, you know, because if one moves towards what the other needs, the other is not going to stay there unless they're frozen in carbonite. Well, maybe they'll do that. I mean, hey, you never know. I know. Um, <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, anything else on that one or onto the so. Molly stuff? The Molly stuff is when Bob was being super gross and super creepy. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, gross. And then he had such a mature inner monologue about it. I was so proud of him. Yeah. And again, it, 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 this is one of the reasons why I wanted, I mentioned earlier on that I did want to put a pin in it because I, I, yeah, I don't, didn't think the whole, I mean, I, I know there was some grossness certainly yeah. early and yeah, it's a reality, clearly, right? <laughs> it's not me projecting, but I, I remember stuff like this where he does have some reasoned mature yeah. thoughts and it's interesting to see especially because the way you discuss that last chapter, I love it because it leads right into my thought here about how when he's worried about himself, he's very immature and oh yeah, a, kind of a bozo. But yeah. when he's worried about someone else in need, he immediately does the, always tries to do the right thing. And like, I loved it. You know, like- I can how take he, that a step further. Yeah. Finish, your, finish your statement. I, I mean, that, that's that really further. it. And, and I, again, I just, I want that phrasing just because- he died doing the right thing is, you know, kind of hanging, hanging over him. And so I, I just love that. He doesn't always for himself. He doesn't really know how to treat himself well necessarily yeah. or put himself in good situations, but he switches like that when someone else is in danger of really any kind. And in that regards with himself, he is reckless with everyone else. He is cautious. Oh yeah, for sure. That's the, that's the two sides of the coin. That's a great, yeah. And it, and it makes sense in both of these conversations with himself. He's a little reckless in this whole Murphy thing, but with Molly, he's so cautious and protective. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my view on those two conversations where it's like, he's being the mature one. And it's those levels of maturity that we, that we're seeing in these two conversations too. And back to back, right, right together, not, you know, books apart. Yeah, that's and that's why I loved your description of it. If you do want to look a few chapters apart, his interaction with Molly last time versus this one mm-hmm. are also very, very different. Yes. Do you want to go first on that one? Because I feel like I'm... My perspective on that is that he, as he's going through all of this shit that's going down, he's learning more about her. He met Rosie. All of this stuff that's going down, he's seeing all of the things she's experiencing. She's not just a dumb kid. She's a dumb kid going through some shit. And I think he relates to that because he was a dumb kid going through some shit. And I think it's he's he relates to her much better now than he did at the beginning. He hadn't seen her in years. She calls and says, oh, I've been arrested. She's looking absolutely different. And he sees the interaction with her mother and he sees the things she's experienced. I think he I think he gives her a little bit more credit now than he did when he first saw her. Yeah, so I almost go the other way. I don't want to say more or less credit, but where she's not in trouble that time. Yeah. She's being a dick, putting Harry in, in trouble, and certainly Nelson needed him, but like 
she was being kind of manipulative. Yeah. So he kind of responded with some negativity and kind. And it's a protection now. But now she's in trouble and he flipped it a little bit. Well, it doesn't okay, really conflict with what you said, I don't think. But yeah. Just a different kind of angle. Well, it just adds an, another level. Yeah. And it's probably not necessarily one thing or the other, right? That's how only yeah. Sith steal and absolutes. <laughs> exactly. But I do like, there's a lot of dichotomy in this book. I know I use that word all the time, but in this world, in Harry's existence, there is a lot of dichotomy. The two two sides of the same coin, the two versions of everybody's life. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting how it's written, how it's a continuous sort of thing. Last time you used that metaphor, I made a dumb Lashiel joke, but it's interesting. Like literally we've seen two different sides of Lashiel too, right? Like yeah. last novel, he was very unwell. And now he seems to be moving faster and better than ever Mm -hmm. mentally. So it's even the actual coin we've seen two sides of. Yeah. But it's just very true that there's a lot of that in this novel. And just like real life, everything. I was just going to say, just like reality. The reality is always somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And, you know, I was crying at the bar yesterday or the other day, the other day, you know, leaving my boss and one of my great friends and my mentor. One of the reasons we work so well together among Others that we've worked together forever, a quarter century, more more than as colleagues, it's been a quarter century. But you know, I played for him almost thirty years ago. God, you're old. <laughs> he has a pretty cynical read on people in the world, and I'm generally more positive and take people for at face value. Mm-hmm. And life is always in the middle, but that we have a good balance that way because, like, just one of the many things. But it just sorry, talking about me again, but like. It, no, no, it's cool. Finding that balance in life is important and recognizing that nobody's all oh, yeah. good, nobody's all bad, but there's ways you can approach people that isn't douchebaggery. Yeah, no, I agree. I always say that I'm Polly fucking Anna because it's this, I, I see some horrible, horrible things, but even bad, you know, one of the things I learned as a baby investigator, even mopes have moms. It doesn't matter how shitty you are, you still got a mom. It's just like, it's a very strange gray area that I exist in because I have to. I have to deal with the horrible things that people do to each other, but also, you know, that there, you have to see the good in the world. Everything's, everything is a shade of gray. Everything is a shade of gray. Yeah. I mean, you also are in a position, I don't mean that you don't have to hug human beings and stuff, but like, you also help people find closure. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's also, you know, a really cool angle of it. And you can do that without interacting with humans. But, but that's also, even that is a gray area because I help people find closure in learning that their family members are dead. You know, closure's a good thing, but they're dead. It's a very strange conundrum, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. But again, shades of gray. More than 50. <laughs> at, at least 50. Did you ever read or watch that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Awful. Horrible writing. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's literally fan It's fan fiction, I know. Which I actually love that. It is funny. Um, it's also, it's just, it's just cool. You know, it's up. And the fact that it blew up is absurd, but also, you know, it was it's uh, an interesting, it's very a sign of the times. It was a niche in inefficiency in the marketplace, right? There mm-hmm. wasn't that kind of, it was just, uh, I love that. It was just fanfic that yeah. blew, blew up, basically. It's really, yeah. really cool. Just from that. I haven't known much of that, but still an intriguing story. The story about the story. Yeah. The... The punch, again, I mentioned that like hotel rooms aren't necessarily sexy on their own, but after Molly's- And this circumstances. Unanswered innuendo. Yeah. Unclarified, at least. 
innuendo that she's been with Harry lately and her so daughter you're saying it's it's Michael's fault Harry got punched I mean in some ways absolutely <laughs> right? like what what is Harry supposed to do like turn her away like I, I don't really right. like maybe crack the door right is the only thing I could see doing differently like not the not the shower door Bob <laughs> the hotel room door but like yeah I, you know, even so like it is a very hard situation yeah I mean, it's it's I just don't see how Telling her to get the fuck out of here makes anything better. Charity is very upset. She's dealing with a lot. And she hates this guy. And she hates him. Every time Harry comes around, Michael gets hurt. Yeah. Or either physically or mentally. Last time it was, he got hurt and Shiro died, right? Like, yeah. Um, which had to have been a big shock to the family as well, right? Or at least whatever m- members of the family knew what Michael does. Yeah. That's it. Big. He was staying at the house too, you know? Yeah, they clearly, they obviously knew him, at least in some respect, right? But so, yeah, so like, it makes sense, sort of. It makes sense. I mean, I wouldn't even think sort of. It makes sense entirely from Charity's perspective. And I don't mm-hmm. really think Harry did a ton wrong, realistically. I, I, it's just one of those situations where, like, he even says, like, if she had answered 10 seconds ago, why did you say, what can I do for you guys? Like, no. Molly's getting clean. Hey, guys, good to see you. Molly's getting cleaned up. Like, before yeah. t- before shooting the shit with, with Fort Hill, like, right? Like, that's tr- yeah. they're obviously there to find their daughter. They go, hey, how'd you know she was here? Yeah, she's she's getting cleaned up. She's taking a shower, right? Yeah. Like, it, it just seems so straightforward. But I think yeah. to Harry, that might have been in his head. Oh, how'd you guys know he's here? The, the, you were here. Cool. Okay, well, come on in, you know, let's deal with this shit. And, but I think that Charity also jumps to conclusions where Harry is involved. Yeah, no, and we saw that at the home earlier. Oh, yeah. But it's just a continuation of that never getting shot down that's still rolling around in her head. And that's yeah. probably one Harry of our also, worst nightmares. I think Harry also didn't expect her to come out in a towel. Yeah, fair. That was very much a, I don't know what Molly was thinking there. Well, I mean, she was thinking she's trying to that, seduce, yeah. seduce Harry. I guess so. But, you know, once he figured it all out, or at least, you know, had an inkling that that's what she was trying to get up to. Yeah. It, he could have done a little bit better, but again, I don't I just, really I don't, fault I, Harry. I, I, yeah, I, and I don't fault Harry in this situation really either. Yeah, no, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, yeah. there's one dumb, like, you could have cleared it up earlier, but... But it, it's that concept of horrible romantic comedies where, you know, it would solve this problem? Communication. Yeah, the false conflict. Yeah. And it's it doesn't lean too... It's not it's that not too false conflicty. But again, it's if communication would have, but also, yeah, I mean, he literally says, this isn't what it looks like, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. You know, kind of thinking, thinking it looks bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. False conflict. Like it really, that that line is so cliche as false conflict. Like it literally is saying nothing instead of saying what it is. But it also, actually, this just popped into my head. So we have them talking about, oh, this is rope-a-dope. This false conflict, this false enemy, this false angle. Okay. It kind of just builds on that. So it's like it's mirroring the story. I mean, uh, I, I think that's a little bit of a reach, it, probably. It might be, but but like in my thought, like is the the bad energy, the you know, the 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 concept my my idea here, and I think this is probably a storyline in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 
where <laughs> what's going on with the big bad is being mirrored in everyone's life because of the power, the energy that's going on. And it's just, there's, it's causing conflict everywhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that was kind of like, it's distracting you from the true purpose, the true issue. That was kind of where I was going with that. Is it yeah, accurate? No, Who knows? Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I, I you know, just like any deep dive on anything, right? Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, English class or a podcast. Yeah. We, we sometimes are projecting things. Oh, 100%. The text 100%. for sure. But there, there it was is just a concept, an idea. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I mean, I, I like don't know it. what happens after this. <laughs> I like it because we do see things like that that I've had to believe are pretty intentional. Again, we yeah. reference Deadbeat, the entirety of Deadbeat resembles the conflict of Lashiel and Harry, right? Like, yeah. So there may be something to that. I just feel like, again, kind of like the word I use is elegant. Like it's not elegantly done. It's no. It's just kind of a lame trope that if it is doing what, if, you know, if he's intentionally doing what you're saying, I think is really fucking cool. I think you just have to do it a, a smidge better to make me appreciate it. And he's not who gives a fuck, Jim? You're an ex. You're a master. If I appreciate. Like, who <laughs> gives a fuck about Joshi? But and the thing is, because I don't know what happens out from here, that's something that kind of like, well, it just sort of is a very oh, similar. The entire thing might just be a rope a dope. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's a great catch. Uh, I, I really love it. And they, it, it's like poetry. It rhymes. I told you, I'm gonna use that every single show. I overthink but, everything too, which is part of the problem. But yeah, no, I, I dig it. So good shit, good shit. And I know like six things and I've gotten like two of my crackpot theories have been on points. You've also got <laughs> a lot of the like narrative beats, which is cool, but also it's so weird. It's really, really interesting stuff. It's just fun. Like I, again, I overthink everything. So this is like right up my alley and just, oh, absolutely. You know, we mentioned that it was mostly Harry doing the hotel room stuff. Mm -hmm. Murphy does the same thing here. Oh, yeah. Where she like, you deserved it. I mean, I, I do like how when she said like, is somebody in, in, is somebody in here? And he, and he doesn't answer. I, I, again, it's it's petty and like. Oh, 100%. But also. But like, totally like, something he would do. Sure. But also like, who cares? Like, it's not really her business anyway, right? Like, yeah. She made it very clear that it's not her business a chapter ago, right? So. Yeah. It is kind of funny to do that to her. Oh, yeah. And so I get when she comes back and gives him shit for it. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's doing the same, like, ooh, a hotel room. You had a girl yeah. in your room. But it's almost like she's making fun of him for it. Oh, no, she is. That's what I'm saying. It's like, because he, you know, tried, like, to, because he tried to zing her, yeah. she's going to do it back. I don't necessarily uh -huh. think it's her. She has the same thought process about no. it. It was like, well, hey, ding bat. Uh, I mean, let us know. Are we the weird ones that think hotel rooms are inherently unsexy? Yeah, it's just. Could be, I mean, it could just be us. Like, who knows? It very well could be. They're just functional. Anything else on that charity? I don't. Yeah. One line I wanted to touch on just where he says, like, after Murphy, it's she didn't do anything wrong, but it does, you know, rip his heart out, right? It's just yeah. to be clear, like she's not not blaming her for it, but you know, it does hurt his feelings at least. How's that? He's he's hurt in that situation, right? And that's his and his feelings are real and valid, even if it's nobody, you know, not her fault. Mm -hmm. But he says, like, God, I love being a wizard. Like, that's that's not really a, a wizard thing. That's <laughs> well, him living for for centuries, and I think that had a lot. That's part of that's what he focused on. Yeah, it, it's certainly part of it, but it's just interesting. Like, 
if that's the only thing he focused on, then like, I, I don't know if he gets it, but either way. Yeah, just, it was an interesting line. Again, kind of showcasing, I, I think a little bit of his immaturity. Yeah. Notable. You got, there's nothing else there. What about 24? He does the spell. Rollins is great. Good old Rollins. Rollins. And then the countdown. Yeah, I, I, I touched on it, but just how much tension it's awesome. built in there. Just by adding that countdown, we saw that really expertly done from a first time out, right? In Stormfront, mm-hmm. where that ending scene, he goes to like really short sentences. And yeah. it does that here as well. And just like- up change the cadence and it's really interesting. Tempo, yeah. It's really, really interesting. Anything else there? I mean, it was pretty straightforward and relatively short, but- It was great though. Yeah, was, I loved it. I love Rollins. <laughs> I do too. I think he's fabulous. Better not die. Well, <laughs> we've seen a lot of- We've seen a lot of people die. Especially like we, you, you figured out the kind of story there. Like when you learn a lot about people, it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. But he survived the last novel, so who knows? Yep, he did. Fingers crossed, he survives this one. He survived the zombies. Hopefully, he survives these. You got anything else there? I mean, like I said, it's pretty straightforward. I love the tension, but as far as like the story itself, this is not specifically. This is my big overthinking off the wall. So my uh, realization here. Mm-hmm. When we're, you know, a little bit of talking about Murphy's family, and this is, I actually texted this to Joshua. Murphy's family life makes me want to compare it to Molly's older sibling, mild conflict with mom, etc. When she's talking about her ex-husband, current brother-in-law, Rick, she has a lot of siblings. Dad was a theoretical knight fighting the supernatural. Oh, I like that connection too. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels, it feels like, with the two of them. They're both... They both have a a soft spot for Harry. They both trust Harry to solve the supernatural problems or help with the supernatural problems. Like boyfriend Nelson came to him because Molly said, well, he can help with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And obviously Murphy is relies on him to help with stuff so it's just kind of an interesting i know i know i've compared molly to fucking everybody (laughs) the carpenter murphy combination parallels are very interesting and just something that kind of came to me where it's and i wonder if how molly was molly is with her mother is how murphy was with hers yeah interesting you know big catholic families so that was just a a real an observation analysis kind of thing oh it's great I, i love i love seeing those what you pick out as important is always interesting. It's a lot of how my brain works. Oh yeah, but it's, it's, it's <laughs> interesting. And we get that, you know, again, that feedback a lot. That's like, again, right or wrong, it's interesting the things that, that you you pick out and the things that you notice or at least connect that are, is really cool. So it's, again, one of the joys of this podcast for me. <laughs> it is interesting. It's definitely interesting. And sometimes I'm like, oh, right. But it's a lot of that, like overthinking and finding patterns and things like that. Yeah, and it's in a lot of cases, it's really hard to believe that he doesn't mean these things, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Like some of them are very, very—I don't want to say exaggerated or over the top, but it's like intentional. Yeah, it feels intentional. If they're not intentional, it's a crazy coincidence in a lot of cases, right? I skipped one of my notes that I I give Murphy shit all the time because she regularly, or I used to at least, all the time. Now I do it less. But she regularly would say stuff like, I'm a cop. It's who I am. And like, you know, like, yeah. And she very much says to Harry that being a cop isn't her identity. And I feel like she always makes it her identity. Yeah. So it's just interesting that she doesn't see that about herself. I think maybe it's, she is growing, you know, where she's kind of realizing that that's part of the problem. That's fair. And that might be why, you know, the relationship with Rick didn't work because being a cop isn't everything that she is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I don't I don't know if it if it's if that's what it is, but that was sort of 
where her character is developing and Murphy is growing. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's definitely fair. And Harry kind of recognizes that part of why she pours herself into that, her career, is mm-hmm. because of her trauma, her experiences. Everything's, yeah. everything's traumatic, you know, in the moment. But, like, because of her experiences with her love life in the past, mm-hmm. um, relationships at least. Which, again, Harry picking out things in other people that he would never see in himself. Yes, yeah. But that's how we all do it. That's how we all are. It's so much easier to see what's going on with other people than with ourselves. It's easier to look without than within. Yeah, no, 100%. But it's just interesting to note and mm-hmm. see that in action. But it's also very much a sign of, of maturity when you start to realize those things. And we were talking about the maturity and things like that. It's interesting. What do you think about boyfriend Nelson? I think he's in over his mm-hmm. head. I don't think he's necessarily a bad guy, but I do think he's in over his head. Okay. In just... In this whole situation, he's in over his head. But what, hmm. what specifically, what do you mean? All of this stuff with, well, I think he's in over his head with Molly too, because I mean, Molly's a lot of strong female with knowledge of the other, the other side of the street, mm-hmm. we could call it. But I think, I just think that he's your typical 20 something year old. And this is more than he knows what to do with. Fair enough. Fair enough. Any guesses on what's after him? Presum- what? Yeah, hmm? Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? I want you. I want you to finish your thought before I talk. Oh, I I feel like it's one of the phobophages. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Presumably, it's a, a phobophage. It's a, a phobophage of, of his variety. But yeah, okay. It's just interesting. All of the activity we've seen was at the hotel at the convention, mm-hmm. and not. But he's elsewhere. having he's having issues elsewhere, which is just interesting. Mm-hmm. And then Pell's theater being locked up. That is sketch too. That's interesting. That's just, again, adding more mystery to a, a case that was almost solved a little bit ago. Yeah. Or as we, you know, we were, Harry thought was he was getting pretty close, but there's a lot of uncertainty here. He's sending the phages back at the summoner or the beacon. You know, sounds like I don't think you have that much tension and then have a letdown to the next sentence. So presumably we got cut off right before something exciting. I, that may be spoilery, of course. but realistically reading it. It's yeah, not, I have a hard time thinking that you thought hey, you got them all was the next line <laughs> So <laughs> after that tension building there. So and again, I love cutting you off on cliffhangers as well. So kills me. I hate surprises. Uh, oh, it's even better this time because we're going a full three. I know. So life is good to you. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, generally speaking, I had nothing else there. Do you want to do move into yikes? Yikes. I was really happy. Yikes. It kind of resolved itself. You know, Bob was being really creepy and gross and Harry was being a little bit gross, but then it resolved itself by him being very mature about it and, and changing that perspective and all of that. Nothing too bad. Again, the, the stuff with the hotel room I thought was just weird. Yeah. Um, I, I like that he didn't really sexualize Molly this time. Again, I kind of mentioned that I wanted to see how he treated her in the future and he's doing better. He did mention her rack, but the man is doing doing his best. He's improved. All you can do is get a little bit better each day. That's a living. And yeah, I mean, there's the like Rollins line about the costume part you know, contest and people wearing skimpy getups that shouldn't. You know, it's a convention, man. Let, let people live. Yeah. But really, that's a little bit of picking nits. Certainly not kind, but I don't think it really fits. Not crazy yikesy at the very least. So good stuff. And again, like to see the maturity of Harry and the writing around. Like I said, Molly was weirdly sexualized when she was a child child as well. And so seeing them do a little bit better 
as a collective group is great. So yeah, I guess, it, you know, if there's nothing else, then we got to get some uh, quotes of the week. Quotes of the week. Okay, I got quite a few. No. I know. Shocking. And I'd be willing to bet dollars to Naval Lint that I knew exactly which stupid son of a bitch the council would expect to start poking his nose around in it. I like that one. Hey, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a good one. Oh, yeah. Um, but I also like that, you know, I mentioned the I at Max. This is also a reference that he, I think he took from Murphy. We saw her use it in Full Moon where she you know, said dollars to donuts, but that, it's a relative, it's not like she invented it or anything like that. You know, it's, a, it's a phrase, but mm-hmm. it seems a little specific to not be something he picked up from Murphy, in my mind at least, which I just like. Definitely. Okay, the next one. <laughs> this one just entertained me. Uh-huh. Maybe I was going a little hex happy, but I muttered something under my breath and made a little effort. Spark shot out of the radio and were followed by curls of smoke. <laughs> just fucking with green. Yeah, that whole scene is so good. And that's did use a little bit of wizarding, but mostly his wits is very mm-hmm. good. And this is a Bob and Harry conversation. Ooh, classic White Council doctrine. When the phages come through, you point them straight at the guy who summoned them. Give them a dose of his own medicine. Right up the ass, I confirmed. There's an image, Bob said. A summoning suppository. <laughs> I do love Bob. And he's, oh, I mean, I guess yikesy, we didn't touch on Bob. Bob, was uh, Bob is always yikesy, though. But exactly, right? And you're coming around somewhat to, I think it was Full Moon, where we mentioned that, like, Bob is so over the top that he's clearly supposed to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And you kind of weren't there yet. I think you're kind of at least get what I mean. Yeah, right? it's just gross. Absolutely. But I mean, I, honestly, I did, I did like the, uh, you should, you know, he doesn't want to be distracted. You should put me somewhere else. How about, how about on the, the counter in the bathroom? Just, yes. Creeper. It was just, it was just funny. Certainly creeper. creepy and gross, but it was an amusing is that is it, yes maybe i'm the, i'm the yikes one there as well but i just thought it was a funny line and again not one that we should like think is cool no like we don't we don't nobody got some ick factor to it but it is oh 100 but i mean it's just written par. it's it's written to be over the top gross as opposed to what i thought the problems with some of harry's stuff is that it's not doesn't feel like it's written that way in a lot yeah. of cases but yeah. bob is you know we mentioned that like way back when about kind of the male gaze and like you can have a character who has a little bit of sexism or whatever problems but they need to have like needs to be clear to the audience that it's not right whether or not it's in universe it needs to be clear to the audience right that it's not okay and i feel like they do that with bob and so mm-hmm. that's why it puts into perspective why some of the hairy stuff is worse because it doesn't feel like that to me in my mind yeah more like pythagoras P- who he invented triangles <laughs> I do love that line. So funny. So you only got two of mine this time. Yeah, that's good. It's impressive. I've started to make like a long list just in case. I, I mentioned it and it fits into kind of the dumb hotel room conversation, but the no corpses this time. <laughs> <laughs> the night is young. I did love that. And who is this? Harry Dresden. Crane went still. Not like people go still. You know, still like corpses and plastic dressing dummies. And said nothing. As I am a highly experienced investigator, I drew the conclusion that he recognized my name. The second beat of that, or the kind of similar beat of that same joke where Murphy found you, I see. Almost like she's a detective. <laughs> and so I was just like, it's not super funny. I just really like it where Fix says, it sort of snuck up on me. Life is a way of doing that. I agreed. As my move date gets closer and closer and I have nothing prepared or ready, I like that line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... That will do it on that front. And we are just about out of here. But I would get so much hate mail if we didn't squeeze in a crackpot through the week. (laughs) 
crackpot theory of the week. All right. I have a couple couple points, not necessarily crackpot. I really hope Rollins doesn't die. I still feel like Molly's got something going. Supernatural, something, some energy going in there more than just teenage angst. That's the big one. Just because the back and forth with Ma- with Mouse is a pretty significant one where, you know, Mouse barks at him or growls at her and then they're all best friends now. Like, there's something going there. Uh-huh. Obviously, yeah, we, there is. We talked about that a lot, right? With yeah. Mouse. Mouse is like the best monster detector. Right? We In the in the show, right? Or in the story, rather. Even beyond Harry's perception, most of the time, even when he was a tiny little puppy, right? He warned yeah. them of the Black, the black Court ambush. Yeah, so definitely. He's always had that. And the Molly interaction is very, it stands out very much so. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Sorry, I think I'm, I thought I cut you off. I apologize. Nope, nope. That's about it. That's about what it's, I got. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Beyond that, what a great time for a break. We, we've been going hardcore every week since mid-January. Holy shnikes. And without taking a, a day, a week off, we're going to try to keep that up. Like I said, I, I honestly can't promise because of travel and stuff. Mm-hmm. It'll be difficult to get everything in, but I really hope we can. It might be kind of ugly with lots of ums and gaps and stuff, just real life. So appreciate you bearing with me. We are definitely doing a restoration of faith this week. I was also hoping to squeeze in something borrowed. I'm not sure we're going to be able to do both. Just kind of looking at timelines and stuff. It might just have to be some, a restoration of faith which is the very first Dresden story. So there's a lot to think about and talk about kind of the projection from there, which could be a, could be a good conversation. And if it's not, it's probably Lissy's fault. <laughs> I kid, I kid. But yeah, so definitely a restoration of faith. And we're going to try to do something borrowed, but that might be kicked back to the following week. So beyond that. But we will be here. Oh yeah, we'll be here. You're not getting rid of us that easy. Tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Any good, fun parting words? No, I'm really excited for this. Yeah, this little side jaunt into short stories. Absolutely. This has been a huge request that we kind of dig into some of those. And the timing makes a ton of sense right now. So we'll see. There's Maybe we'll be able to do like a short story between novels or something like that. That might be a nice real life break as well as something that kind of gives you guys a change of pace. But we'll see how that goes. But definitely looking forward to that. Uh, hit us up. We have patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. Got a a, hand, a bunch of great emails this week. I really appreciate that, guys. Tika with some good advice about recovering my throat as well on a personal level after uh, screaming at children. My true passion, <laughs> screaming at children. And, you know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And, um, but yeah, sometimes when we have lots of, you know, lots of games in a weekend, I do get scratchy. So I'm going to try to work on some of those tips and tricks from choir. And I really appreciate that thinking of me and that's kind. And yeah, guys, just thank you so much. I look forward to hearing more and definitely let us know what you think. Our hotel room sexy. We need to know. We need to know your opinion. This is, this is important shit. Oh, this is the real deal on prom night. Yes, I get it. But there's a definite cultural connection there Two adults in the midst of a grisly murder investigation. I don't see that. But again, being wrong is a great way to learn. I love learning. So I love being wrong. Let me know what you think. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. And all of the socials, we love to hear about it. Uh, We love you guys so much for supporting the pod and helping us out. Again, hit the Patreon up. And, you know, life is spectacular. Anything else? Nothing. Nothing.
Well, in that case, I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. With the podcast is on fire. And it wasn't my fault. It's a, it's a line from the other guys, which if you haven't seen the other guys, like you should watch the other guys. It is so good. It's uh Will Ferrell, Marky Mark, but oh, okay. Pop, uh, cop comedy where the rock and ice T are like these big superhero movie cops. Mm-hmm. Like you know, they like are big movie cops and they're just other guys in the office. That's the other guys. That's spectacular. But at one point, Will Ferrell, thinks they're doing bad cop bad cop worst cop oh goodness <laughs> so that's my buddy who's actually one of my good friends who i've mentioned on the program but he's gonna take over my team actually you know very close he mentions that a lot of times when we're coaching we do bad cop worst cop <laughs> and so sundays we get one more one more time for old time's sake we're gonna bad cop worst cop <laughs> just uh, oh which one are you oh it depends it's usually one guy gets started. 